Hey, Bryce, it's Victoria from Survivor, Edge of Extinction. It was so good to see you and Wendell a few weeks ago for my personal beef delivery of my new table. I'm loving it. And thank you so much for the Hot Girl Summer Calendar. It's an honor as always. And my dad is still loving his Dilf shirts. Thank you very much, even though I have all four of them. But, you know, we're not going to. It's fine, you know. And I'm loving the podcast. Keep doing you, boo. It's a, it's a, it's a purple pants podcast. It's the purple pants. It's the purple pants. It's the purple pants podcast. You better get your headphones and listen up quick. It's the purple pants podcast. You better listen in public. Might make your stomach hurt. It's the purple pants podcast. You trying to unwind. You better get that box wine. It's the Purple Pants Podcast. You're trying to get your snack. You better hurry right back, though. It's the Purple Pants. It's the Purple Pants. Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Purple Pants Podcast. I am your host, Bryce Isaiah, and I'm so excited you tuned in this week. So get your plate, get your fork, because I'm serving up some soul food this week. I want to take the time to welcome all of my first-time listeners. What's up? How you doing? I'm so glad you could join us. Make yourself at home. You know, sit down. Get comfortable to my Purple Pants Posse. What's up? You already know. Mikasa, Sukasa. Go over there in the kitchen. Get yourself a plate. Okay? Help yourself. Big Mama been cooking all night, all week. For this episode, so I'm so excited that you guys are joining me for some soul food this week because I'm serving it up hot, okay, fresh out the oven. When I tell you my turkey is stuffed, baby, when I tell you the macaroni and cheese is cheesy this week, I hope you came hungry because baby boy is coming to feed. Now, pause this podcast if you are not subscribed yet. Please make sure you subscribe to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, wherever it is that you get your podcasts from. Make sure you subscribe. Show your baby boy some love. Okay. Hit that five stars. Write a little review. Let them know. Let them know. Let them know. So, you know, this weekend, baby boy was chilling. It was Wendy's birthday on Monday. So we went out, celebrated, you know, was baby boy was day drinking. I haven't day drunk in a while. So it was really good. But, I, you know, ain't really much going on over here. I'm really excited about this episode. And it's a jam-packed episode. So, you know, I want to just get right into the tea. Let y'all know what the dilly is. So let me give you the rundown of this week's episode. So I got the church announcements and then the podcast was really complete, but I, like everyone else, tuned into the Megan and Harry and Oprah interview and the posse was on Twitter and they said, baby boy, we need you to break it down. And since we go together, baby, I didn't recorded, okay, my takes on the Meghan Markle and Prince Harry interview. Then we welcome back to the podcast, Chappelle, and we are taking a deep dive into another black classic movie, Soul Food. I know y'all like, well, baby boy, Black History Month is over. Well, listen, over here at the Purple Pants Podcast, it's still Melanated March. So Chappelle and I really take a deep dive into the movie Soul Food, and we break down a lot of 
themes that we see in the movie that really kind of relate to our families. Um, and so it's a really a great, 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 great listen. So you are listen, like I said, come hungry because listen, we serving it up. I've got Barb's message and freak of the week. So listen, I didn't spend all weekend cooking up this podcast for you to serve you the soul food. It's time to eat. Let's get into the church announcements. On this week's church announcements, I really want to just encourage my listeners, encourage anybody that's listening to just know it's all right. No matter what you're going through, we're going to get through it. And over the weekend on Friday, I had tweeted out a tweet that basically was just saying I'm really grateful for the support system that I have built in my life that I'm able to cuss at, scream, uh, show my vulnerabilities, allow them to check me when I need to be checked and really just support me. And so I just want to encourage my Purple Pants Posse that no matter what you're going through, how stressed out things in your life may be, don't feel like you have to do it alone. Use your support system. Use your friends, your family, your loved one. Lean on them. Um, I know for myself, I always feel like I'm the person that people can lean on. And it's can be a lot for me. So I am just very, really grateful that I can lean on my friends and loved ones when I'm stressed out when you know I'm feeling like the walls are caving in when I'm feeling frustrated about something and I'm cussing up a storm I'm just really grateful that I have people in my life that I can literally just call up scream and hang up and you know just know that they have a listening ear so I just really want to encourage the posse anyone that's listening don't feel like you're alone utilize your support systems utilize what works for you and release that energy don't keep it bottled up because listen it ain't listen it's gonna make us look oh we don't want no wrinkles we over here living our best life so that is this week's church announcements i don't know who that is for but i hope you received it it's a man who is a menu meat and potatoes like we're cooking up a great stew it's a man who is a menu meat and potatoes like we're cooking up a great stew Get in here, get in here, get in here. Purple Pants Posse, listen up. Baby boy was enjoying his weekend. You know, went out and celebrated uh, for Wendy's birthday ahead of time. Day drinking, got back to the house. I had the podcast already complete. And, you know, I knew this Meghan Markle and Prince Harry and the Oprah story was coming out. I didn't really think I was going to watch it. Because one baby boy been day drinking and you know them naps, you know, you don't really recover from the nap. When you wake back up, you're still tired. And so you're like, oh, I'm just going to lay here for the rest of the day. And two, I really thought this was going to be something that I could just catch on social media and get the clips. However, shout out to my good friend Chelsea who texted me and was like, bitch, you know, the the interview comes on tonight at eight o'clock CBS. So I said, you know what? Let me just put it on. 
And I'll be honest, Purple Pants Posse, I had no real intention of watching it. But, baby, when it came on, and shout out to Auntie Oprah, okay? Because l- l- let's just start there. Oprah, you did your thing, baby girl, okay? Oprah is a living legend. Let's just give Oprah her flowers while she's here. Because I have to say, I really felt like I was interviewing them because there were certain times and certain things being said. And Oprah was like, wait, 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 who, who, who said that? And really kind of asking a question, Megan maybe wouldn't really answer it. And then five minutes later, Oprah being like, well, I asked you this, you said this and this, but um, here is the actual question again. So I just want to just shout out Oprah because I thought she did a phenomenal job of asking hard questions, being respectful, showing empathy, but also getting us the tea. Um, so I just really wanted to just, you know, and I like I I felt myself tweeting. Like I was like, oh my God, I just like, you know, so I really did not plan on talking about this. So I I won't spend too much time going through this, but there was just some things that came to light that I didn't think this interview was going to be because, you know, I watched season one and two of The Crown. I kind of sort of fell off. I need to get back in. But you know how the royal family is. You don't really get the TT. They are very like manufactured responses there. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what I thought I was going to get. But baby. (laughs) mama mama's megan came and she was spilling the tea um and so there, there was there's a lot to unpack here but i think that the the main point and the main gist that i got out of this was that the royal family was not ready to accept a black woman into their family. And I'ma just put it point blank period. That's what I really got out of it. That's what we already knew, but Megan said it as clear as day. Now, she talked about the courting process of what it was like when her and Harry were dating. Um, they shared that the family was very welcoming. They, you know, were very excited for her uh, to join the family. However, things really changed for Megan when they got married and she got pregnant. We all lived through this during when they were dating and how it was such a big deal that, you know, Harry was dating a black woman. Uh, you know, she's mixed, but, you know, she's a black woman. And that was a, a huge thing uh, for the royal family, because when you think of Great Britain, you think of the empire, you think of a, a lot of things when you think about the royal family and you look at the history. So it was, in my opinion, like... I don't want to say like groundbreaking, but it it really was something that the royal family has never seen. And my first thought of it was I was excited. Like, yes, come on. You know, I'm here for the diversity. Like what a great example for the royal family to show, because I mean, the royal family has been white for as long as it's been. And we know that that's not actually a reflection of the people. So you know, my opinion, thought it was great. And as time went on, 
we really got to hear from Megan of the mistreatment that she got from the tabloids and from the firm and the institution. Now, before I even go on more with my breakdown of it, let's just talk about the firm and the institution. It seemed as though they were using those words interchangeably like well which one is it is it the firm or the institution and i you know i was tweeting and people was like yes baby boy break this down so you know i had to do a little research and what i found was that the firm was reportedly used by prince philip to describe the family he married into now we know prince philip is married to the queen so automatically i i i, I pick up shade in the firm and being as though the firm and the institution is the same thing, why is Prince Philip describing the family he married to the firm? The firm is one of the more divisive nicknames for the royal family, but it's been reportedly the one that the family itself uses. In the King speech, Collins first note in his role as King George VI were not a family where a firm, a line reportedly spoken by the real King George VI. In truth, the royal family is both a huge business with wide ranging financial ties and also a large family that, like any family, has suffered ups and downs through the generations. The royal family as a brand that is worth billions in assets to the a British economy is considered the firm. It's also specific members of the royal families whose job it is to make sure the brand remains strong, also known as the institution. So I hope that kind of clears it up for you guys a little bit. Now back to Megan in the firm slash institution. So like during this interview, both Megan and Harry say that during the beginning process of their relationship, the family was very welcoming. However, it really kind of sort of took a turn when around the wedding and around when she was pregnant with Archie. Um, you know, when she was welcoming to the family, a lot of the tabloids in which we all saw in real time had a lot of racial negative tones towards Megan that we did not see Kate Middleton was brought into the family. It was, you know, kind of stark differences. And she also touches upon there was a tabloid rumor out and about that around the wedding that Megan was this bridezilla and she made Kate Middleton cry. And Megan cleared it up and said, the rumor is false. I absolutely did not make her cry. And in actuality, she made me cry and what she apologized for. And we moved on. And I never would have since talked about it. But she found it interesting that seven months after the wedding, the story comes out. But the story is not Megan making Kate cry. It's Kate making Megan cry. And so, again, she really touched upon the, the tabloids and how it really, like, suffocated her. Now, she says in the interview that she ain't read the tabloids and that, like, she just could not. But, uh, girl, I I think you might have read some of them. I think you wore a breast to a little bit. I, I, 
I, there's just no, like, I just put myself in Megan's shoes and it's like, there's no way that I'm not reading what they're saying. But in the interview, she says that she did not. And I'm sure she did not, like, read every headline, but I'm sure a lot of them came across her, her desk. One thing that she says is that when she was brought into this institution, the firm, the family, she believed them when they said that they would protect her. And she soon found out that they wasn't protecting her. And she made points to there would be random stories that would come out and that the firm or the institution would defend these random frivolous stories. But with stories that came out about Megan, it seemed as though they had nothing to do with it. They didn't want to, like, touch on it. And they just really kind of sort of left her out to dry. And, you know, we know that Meghan Markle was a huge, 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 huge news story. And she even shared with us that, you know, she hadn't left in maybe four months. She left the house twice. And she's like, you know, at this time, I'm sure people can relate to what that's like during this pandemic. But she was like, you know, she felt like, you know, she wanted to get out. She wanted to meet with her friends. And they were telling her, girl, you, you, it's too, you, you're too big of a story right now. Like, you, you're too all over the place. You got to sit still. And she like, bitch, I'm going to sit still to where? And so there's this theme that essentially, like when, ha- now mind you, y'all know I'm all over the place. So go with me. But when Harry joins, he really talks about how his family turned a blind eye to the racism that Meghan was receiving. And even Harry himself said that he was ignorant to it until he met Meghan. Now, that was a very honest thing for him to say. And I could appreciate that because a lot of the times and we ain't even got to talk to royal family when we talk in regular life and we're talking like, you know, when you can explain to someone like, hey, this is how I felt. It was very uh, like it was very undermining. I felt it was very racist to me. And people are like, oh, no, I didn't see that. But again, it's not until you walk a mile in somebody's shoes that you could see what they are seeing. And I thought that that was just so open and honest for him to say, like, I honestly didn't see it I until I saw it. And, you know, for him, he's like, well, no, 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 no. This is my wife. This is like, you know, the mother of my child. I'm going to stand up for this. I'm like, I, I'm, you know, I'm not going to sit back. And we know from, I don't know if y'all watched The Crown and all of that, but Harry was always kind of somewhat like the rebel child a little bit. He, you know, in his youth, he dibbled and dabbled with drugs, you know, out partying because he was kind of always in the shadow of his brother who is in the line of succession to stay dead. Um, and then it's the brother. So anyway, I say that to say that Harry has always kind of sort of had a, a love hate relationship with this, the Royal family, especially given the death of his mother. And now he really feels like with Megan, he sees history repeating itself. Now, one of the major takeaways that I got from this interview was when Megan was pregnant with Archie and you know that it had been announced that their child was not going to be a prince or a princess now that was out of protocol because normally they would be a prince or a princess basically with this child they was like oh nope he's not going to be a prince or a princess and 
he's not going to get protection. Um, you know, he's not going to get like, you know, for us, it would be like the Secret Service. And, you know, Megan felt like some type of way about that. Not in the sense of the title, but she's like, well, this is my child's birthright and giving all of the racial, race, racial tension that these tabloids have been sparking up about this. You don't think my child needs protection? And then she dropped the bomb on us that there were conversations with Harry about how dark their child would be and what that would look like for the royal family. Now, let me just say this again for you, that there was talks because at this point she's married. So that like, you know, she's in the royal family and the child that she gives birth to is has birthrights. Bay Bay, there was talks about how dark the child would be. And you know, Miss Oprah said, oh, oh, and who said that? And Megan's response was, it would be damaging for the family. Now, when Harry got out there, Harry was like, oh, I, I absolutely don't want to talk about it. And I will never say who it was. Mm. Yet, keep in mind, this is coming from the family that has yet acknowledged the racist attack on Megan through the media and what that is and how overtly it is. And again, like Harry said, it was like so surprising to him. So, who chop? That's it. They concerned about his complexion and what that would look like for the royal family. Mm. For me, that was the big takeaway right there. I said, see, and again, why am I acting so surprised that the royal family is like this? Like, have we not done our research ha, do like you know what i'm saying like i don't know why for some reason when you think of queen elizabeth and you think of the royal family you know all oh, the weddings they're so pretty they're like you know but no baby do your research do your history like and and so i i guess for me i just had to like keep reminding myself of that um megan did share now mind you i also got that uh uh, Megan was throwing the subtle shade at Kate. Like I can definitely tell that they don't have a great relationship. And that was one of the things that was communicated uh, without being communicated. Okay. But she also did a very good job of saying uh, that the queen Elizabeth, that she was always warm to her, always like very mother and nurturing. And Harry echoed that same sentiment. They also talked about when another thing that I thought was interesting was they were like, you know, when their tour to Australia ended and it was like, if anybody watches the crown, you know, when uh, Diana does the tour, um, she was beloved. She was loved. And same with Megan. When Megan does this tour, which is considered their work to go visit the people, to check on troops, all that stuff. They loved her because, again, you know, for so many of the people that are not white, that are like, you know, that are people of color that are that don't look like the royal family to see someone like Megan people are going crazy for her and they look like she was it was effortless for her and they then alluded to the fact that maybe uh some people in the family uh were and I don't know if jealous is the word or basically being like oh no 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 we can't have her be the new people's favorite 
not not this black woman like that's really the vibes that we were getting so then we also talked about or i'm I'm saying we talked about like i'm oprah because literally that's how i was sitting there watching because oprah was asking everything that i wanted to know Another thing that Megan talked about was during this period of time when she's pregnant, they're having these conversations about the color of her child's skin, about him not being a prince, about no protection. Um, You know, she shared with us that she was feeling like she didn't want to be on this earth anymore. And, you know, just... We all think that we're strong. We all think that, like, you know, oh, I can't... Like, you know, but... You don't know what it's like until you're in that person's shoes. And so I can only empathize with her. And, you know, obviously, you know, your baby boy loves to get emotional. Like, but, you know, my my heart welled up for her. And she said that she shared that with Harry. And, you know, she didn't want to share that with Harry, given Harry's what happened with Princess Diana. But, you know, she wanted to share that with her husband. She said she, she went to the institution to say, hey. A lot's going on with the public perception, you know, this and that. I really am like, I need some help. I, I Like, my mental health is at risk here. And, baby, the royal family said, that won't be a good image for our, the, the royal family. You can't do that. So, not only is she trapped inside the palace, um, all over the place, headlines, can't do anything, suffering, and... They won't even let her get help. And so that for Harry was like the breaking point. So that's when they were like, you know what? We want to step down. We want to be part time. We'll go to one of our now. I'm one of their like, I don't want to say I'm about to say colonies, not colonies, but one of Canada is a part of uh, the the, the royal empire. They want to go there, step down uh, from being senior members and just being to regular members now this is another like thing that i thought was interesting because i always felt as though like that was like their decision to leave the royal family but hearing them tell it it was not really their decision and they explained to us that yes you can be a senior member of the royal family or you could be a I don't know what the term for it is, but we're going to just say like a cousin and the cousin still works for the royal family, can still live off of the royal family. And when called upon, you know, will still enact. And and Megan was like, I can think of countless members of people like that. But when they she said when they were offered that protection, like when they said to them, that's what they want to do. They was like, oh, no, baby, it's no option. It's either here or there. So while they were in Canada. And this is given the time around during when the pandemic was getting ready to hit. Bebe, then the firm wrote them a letter. First of all, they kill me with these letters, okay? The firm wrote them a letter basically saying, uh, you're resolved of your duties and we don't need to provide protection for you anymore. So your security is leaving. So not only like Megan's security, baby Archie's, but Prince Harry. Now, how are they going to remove Prince Harry's security when he's Prince Harry? So at that time, that's when they moved to L.A. And which I think is another random part of the story of all people of all people. <laughs> Tyler Perry offers his house uh, 
as refuge for them. So they go and stay at Tyler Perry's house and they, uh, until they get their like kind of affairs in order, then they start a new company. Um, and they really let us know. Then the, the T is, he said like the daddy, his dad stopped taking his phone calls and they revealed that they were cut off from the Royal family, like financially. And he said, if it wasn't for his money from princess Diana, which is just, for me, weird in itself because we know Princess Diana ain't want none of that lifestyle. She ain't want none of that for her boys. And the fact that Princess Diana would leave her son's money as almost as if, like, foreshadowing something like, like, I don't even know, I'm just, I'm getting, like, chills thinking about that. So due to the money that Princess Diana left them, they were able to kind of be able to, financially find a place and for real for real what prince harry was saying was that it's really the security like you know that they aren't under the protection of them anymore and he's like he want to make sure his family is safe and then we know that since the interview has come out now i don't know when that news came out but they said on the interview that basically uh when they were stepping down from senior members it was like a time limit on it and at the end of that time limit they would then reconsider whether or not they would go back whatever but basically the firm that made the decision they're not going back so they're like officially like kind of sort of done cut ties with it and it's almost like uh a beautiful thing in a way because like Harry and Megan both said, they said if they just would have got the support that they were asking for, they would still be fulfilling their duties. However, like, you know, they didn't get the support. And Prince Harry said, I'm putting my wife and my family first. And if y'all not supporting us, y'all ain't respecting us, then baby, we got to go. Okay. Where is the Prince Harry's in Philly? Because listen, Call me Meghan Markle. I'm trying to give you an Archie. But it just, I've I just I've always loved Harry. Um, and so it, it's just crazy. And then we, he even said, like, what's your relationship like with your dad? And so, again, a lot of the times, like, they would spill tea, but then go very, like, very much so give you standard answers for stuff. Like, they ask, what's your relationship like with your daddy? And he, like, I always loved my dad. And... But there's a lot of hurt to work through. Then they said, well, what's your relationship like with your brother? He's like, you know, me and my brother have been through hell and back. I love him um, to death. And then later on in the interview, Oprah said, what's your relationship like with your brother? And so essentially he said that, spa- like, you know, he just says space right now. So, I mean, it oh, <laughs> uh, you know, and so and his brother is next in line after the daddy. And mind you, they all old. So it, it, it it's just interesting. And so I don't want to speculate or anything. But the fact that none of the senior members of the family have supported Megan and have like stood up to the, the racism is really a telltale sign. And like Harry said, it's like they're in their own bubble. They are like he, Harry even said his dad and brother are trapped. And Harry's like, I'm glad I got out. And I know Diana is glad that he got out. And I, it, it's just a lot. But again, for me, it's just so crazy that, you know, what sparked Harry's exit of the family was his love for his wife. And what really sparked that is because she was a black woman and they couldn't take it. And that's honestly the bottom line. And you can't tell me 
you can't watch that interview and tell me not anything else, which I already knew from when since Megan came into the family, we seen what it was like, but it was just refreshing to actually hear Megan and Harry say that. Now they were a bit filtered, but they also was spilling tea. And so again, I didn't think I was going to get that into it, y'all. I honestly didn't. I just thought like, okay, let me get into this. But baby, they pulled me up on in it. So let me know what you thought about it. That's just my little recap. You know, I wasn't even going to give y'all this, but y'all was tweeting me up a storm. Davey said, I ain't watching it. I'm going to just wait for the recap or the Purple Pants podcast. I said, well, well, shoot, I'm waiting for it too. I didn't know I was doing it. But yes, that's why I love my Purple Pants posse. I appreciate y'all. Let me know what y'all think. Tweet me. Get at me. Okay. Listen, I got to go. The firm is calling. Okay. Not the institution. The firm. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. What about you? What about, what about me? Us? What about us? Oh, what we gonna do? Toto, help me sing. So, oh, oh, help me we sing. didn't record it. Hey, keeping the menu rolling. We are back, back again. I am honored to have the class of 2020 RHAP breakout star Chappelle back on the podcast. Welcome. Hey Bryce, we was jamming, huh? We were definitely jamming. Uh, we covered Hoodlum last time uh, for Black History Month, and so the overwhelming response they wanted Chappelle back. So I said, "Well, let's continue this theme of Black classic movies." And so, although February Black History Month might be gone and over, but here on the Purple Pants Podcast, it's still Melanated March. And so, Chappelle and I decided to cover the classic Soul Food. And I rewatched it today, and it really got me in my soundtrack bag and i sorry so we were listening to the r&b group total from back in the day from on the soul food soundtrack talking it the song is called what about us okay Mm -hmm. and it's definitely a jam so it, it definitely brought back a lot of memories um so i mean we can well before we get into all of that how you been what's going on with you Oh, I'm good, Bryce. I'm very excited. I I grew up watching the movie Soul Food. I remember the soundtrack vividly, so I'm just dying to talk about that. And I remember the Soul Food show. I was I probably wasn't old enough to be watching the show. Yes, but, on Showtime Thursday yeah, night. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. But uh, I was again too young to be watching it. But uh, you know, if I could, I watched it. Um, Absolutely. But yeah. I feel like the soul, the show, the the series. So let's just distinct be clear. So we recapped the movie Soul Food, but mm-hmm. currently we're talking about the series that came on Showtime. And if you really think about it, Chappelle, that was power before power. Oh yeah, and it, it what so I think Soul Food the series had what six seasons, so it was a strong long like long black cast. It lasted from you know pr- probably through like four or five years you know on television, and that was probably a big deal for a, a like a, a black led cast back then. 
Absolutely. I just remember uh, Nicole Parker Ari and Bo, uh, Boris Kojo because th- she played Terry and he played, uh, I think he played, he played Terry's husband in the show. Um, but which is interesting because anyway, they later on got married and they are currently still married. So I, I kind of forgot about that show. That was me and my mom's show. I remember I, I was not happy with the original cast of the series Sofu only because I had been so connected to the movie Soul Food. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was hard for me to kind of sort of make those connections. But yeah, I mean, obviously I watched it and that's actually that's actually a good show for me to rewatch. I have not rewatched that show in forever. Yeah, I don't even think you can find that show anywhere. Like, I doubt it's on the Showtime app. Well, I I, I want to say BET because for a while BET was running the reruns. So mm. I, I would like to think that it's on BET. But enough about that. But I guess even before we even get into the movie, the soundtracks. So for me, soundtracks to movies like this uh, mean so much to me because th- we literally had the Soul Food soundtrack on cassette tape. And yes, <laughs> it would that would be like me and my mom's jam. So like every Saturday morning, my mom would get up and go grocery shopping. We would go to like Produce Junction and other stores. And, and I always remember like getting up early and wanting to go with my mom because I knew it would be like we would jam in the car. Uh, we would go grocery shopping and then we would go to a place called like Produce Junction that has like fresh fruits, fresh vegetables. And then across the street from Produce Junction was 7-Eleven and I could get a hot dog and the Slurpee and so that was my Saturday morning so I very vividly remember listening to Soul Food the only other soundtracks that I remember to Soul Food was the classic soundtrack to Waiting to Exhale yes okay one more and my mom had The Preacher's Wife Ooh, these are elite soundtracks, Bryce. <laughs> yes. Uh, but listen, Bryce, for your younger listeners, they probably don't even know what a soundtrack is. You know, that, is that a thing anymore? I, I don't. I, so I think soundtracks are a thing because every TV show, every I know Insecure, they put out soundtracks, but they're not as big as they once were. But soundtracks used to be huge for an artist to be on a soundtrack. That was like, I don't know how, what we can compare it to. That uh, I would say this for an artist to have a song on a soundtrack is like an artist today, right now, to have a challenge out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's it's the fastest way to get a whole lot of people to hear your music. Um, so yeah, just like a TikTok challenge or like a, a viral video, your 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 song gets like associated with the with the movie. And so when people hear "What About Us" by Total, they think Soul Food. You know, there's some other. Uh, now, the only some- other the only other classic song to. Mm-hmm. So total help me sing. Well, mind you, I forgot Monica Slow Jam is on there, but ooh, Escape, let's yes. do it again. But no, but the song of the wait, is it not even on here? Hold on, wait. Which oh, one? this, this, this is the song of the song. Hold on, wait. I think my I'm about to play an ad, not an ad. Oh, that? That's the ad, <laughs> not me. Hold on. Yes. Mm. All right, I just got to sing the first couple of uh, words. My, go in, Bryce. My jail. Hold on, wait, wait. <clears throat> oh, I was about to go in. Oh, Bryce, come on, <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah. Hold on. Woo. Come on, the come build, on, boys. Build man. Up. It's that build up. Go Guys, for it, Bryce. Here we go. 
taught me everything and everything you give to me. Always keep it inside. Whew. You're the story. <laughs> okay. But anyway, that's yes. boys to men. Mind you, black people, we call it mama. But the actual name mama. of the song is called A Song for Mama. No, it's called Mama. They <laughs> named their song wrong. It's not, it's not our fault. They don't know the name of their own song. <laughs> Um, is that your favorite song from the soundtrack or that's I just mean, the most I, iconic song from I the think that's soundtrack. the most iconic song from the soundtrack uh, mm-hmm. so it's hard for me to say what my favorite one my favorite one will probably probably be Total um, mm-hmm. and obviously like Puff Daddy he had like uh, Don't Stop What You're Doing and then Monica and Usher Slow Jam yeah, no, I'm I I'm more in the Drew Hill camp. See, when I was little, oh. I thought I was Cisco, so that oh. we're not making Ooh. we're not making love no more. I we're, really oh, thought that was me. <laughs> but see, but see, back in the day, this was another thing that I did not like about soundtracks, and so we're not making love anymore is a prime example of that. I would hate when artists would put songs out, and then the soundtrack would just take the song from their album and put it on the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah you're right because that was that's a hit right there okay right and that's on both you know like on both <laughs> on both yeah Woo, bryce don't don't okay. get me all right, don't get right. me i'll get you oh. canceled because i'll oh. start singing <laughs> oh. oh they don't know what's about listen no this is not appropriate you should oh. see me grabbing the mic okay. right now <laughs> just go in real quick go in just two seconds two seconds two seconds Chappelle I didn't I didn't sign up for this Shots I've been in love oh. <laughs> time or two but in the end I, I still, still chose you. you okay oh wait a minute hold on wait a minute oh come on Cisco come on Cisco but listen we don't own the rights to this music and so but again for me a lot of the times when you watch these, and I don't want to say more current black classics because Hoodlum was absolutely a, a a black family classic, but for me, Soul Food was more in line with like my childhood. So I'd like to say that like not only were did we have these classic black movies, but we also had these classic black soundtracks, and it definitely I felt like the soundtracks were almost a movie of their own, you know. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah, I, no. yeah. Soul Food, Soul Food is an elite soundtrack. Waiting to Exhale is an elite soundtrack. The Preacher's Wife, an elite soundtrack. But my favorite soundtrack, Bryce, Loving Basketball. Oh, oh so, I, yeah. hit after hit after hit after hit. I don't think there's a better soundtrack. I don't care what anybody else says. They can call me to the table on that one. That is a soundtrack. Yes. I uh, yeah. I mean, honestly, they don't make soundtracks like that anymore, and they're not as and soundtracks aren't promoted as much as they were back in the two thousands or early two thousands. But um, so let's get into the breakdown of Soul Food. Um, so I will share watching Soul Food um as a child. I remember. Like, I can distinctly remember, I remember the plot of it, um, and I, I, I remember a lot of different things, but I will say, me re-watching it today, I actually had a, a change of heart of a character. I actually related way more to one character, uh, that I remember as a child, I did not like. I was like, oh, she nasty. Like, oh, I don't like her. But I absolutely related to a, to, to one specific character, uh, this go round. 
Mm-hmm. And I believe this is my character, right? Because you, you are Maxine, and I, and I would be the the real hero of the story, Terry. Is that correct? So, bitch, no, I. <laughs> M. Terry. I, so here, like, <laughs> what's interesting though is that I felt like I saw myself in all of the sisters, mm-hmm. um, which I previously did not see before, but I definitely could relate so much more to Terry. And growing up, I wanted to, I thought like I was Maxine. Like, I like, you know, I wanted all that. But okay, the, I know the listeners are like, well, who the hell are these people? So right. break, like, start, break us down, break soul food down for us. Okay, so Soul Food is a 90s film that follows a black family and their their attempt to keep their family together uh, throughout like normal turmoil that happens in anybody's family or at least in, in black families very popularly. And so this is a, a cast with it's a star studded cast. First of all, yes. like you have Vivica Fox. You have um, Vanessa um, Williams, Vanessa Williams, Nia you, Long, Nia Long. I mean, Mikel Pfeiffer. First of all, the women on this cast completely outshined the men oh absolutely well i mean i I, the the women are the leading characters so i I would think that they they would outshine the men oh yeah no i mean just even in careers like these women have gone on to do great things and these men you don't really see that much anymore (laughs) well the one terry husband i terry husband i for me he'll always be a doctor on er Oh, oh yeah! You know what he is for me. You know that uh, that scene and for color girls. So you doing oh. the bending? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, so you doing the bending? That's that's who uh, Miles is to me. But um, <laughs> back to soul food. <laughs> um, so the there's film- three. There's three sisters, mm-hmm. and there is Terry, who is the oldest, and mm-hmm. she is career driven. She's successful, and she's a lawyer. Um, and she, for the most part of the family, she pays for everything because, like, she's like the successful rich aunt. Then yeah. there is Maxine, and break down Maxine for us. Uh, Maxine would be the second oldest sister. She is um, a typical younger sibling, right? So Terry is the successful lawyer and Maxine and her have a strained relationship due to a fight over a guy, you know, typical stuff right there. But uh, Maxine is... She's more like the the relatable one in the film, right? So when you're watching the film, you see it through Maxine's son, Ahmad, but he's looking at his mom. So you look at her in a very positive light. She does get under Terry's skin a lot on purpose, but yeah, she has her husband and they have a a new baby on the way and two kids already. So she's kind of like the most well-rounded of the sisters as far uh, from like the audience perspective. Uh, Would you agree? I would agree, but it is notable to say that the feud between Terry and Maxine is over a guy, but it is important to point out that the guy, Terry dated and then Maxine married. So mm-hmm. it's not like, you know, uh, that it's just some random guy. Like, no, it's some guy that's still around. Yeah. And at the time, you know, in the 90s watching Soul Food, I was just like, oh, that is messy. But, baby, <laughs> the more I learn about my family and the more I see of you know the the inner workings of other families that are melanated like myself mm-hmm. i see that that is like i don't want to say that is not a common thread but weird relationships like that exist in families to like to this day like for instance and i ain't trying to spill too much of my tea um but spill it my 
my cu- one of my cousins is my first cousin and he's also my second cousin Ooh. okay so i'll let y'all break that down so like you know so like my <laughs> mom like my mom's sister like they're all like they're sisters and then they're they technically could also be cousins okay don't judge my grandma but so like you know <laughs> weird relationships like that exist and again the older i get the more i kind of sort of like understand that a little bit um and then there is bird the younger sister who is the typical younger sister um she's like i feel like i don't know if bird is big mama's favorite but you know throughout watching this movie again we learned that like bird is still living at home um she has got married to an ex-con and you know the the movie starts off at a wedding at bird's wedding and we learned that like terry has paid for the wedding um so bird is kind of like that the younger sibling that sort of gets what she wants and i feel like in this movie she was made to be notably younger than uh maxine and terry i don't know if you picked up on that but i kind of sort of picked up on that thread that like she was like notably younger uh compared to like big mama the fact that like big mama was big mama but big mama was also bird's mom yeah um yeah it's 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 interesting because they don't really get into what their ages are but yeah we find out later on that terry and her husband have been i'm sorry uh max and her husband uh kenny have been married for 11 years and so we know they're at least old enough to have an 11 year marriage whereas we see the movie starting with bird getting married uh and she's still living at home with her with big mama so there's a reason to believe that bird might be you know noticeably uh younger and she kind of acts like it too there are parts in the film where she says some things that are a little naive and max and terry are quick to correct her so i get i definitely see where you're coming from with that right and so then there is big mama she is the matriarch of the family uh we know that she was married at one point in time her husband had a gambling problem um we they talk a lot throughout the film that daddy's gambling problem almost lost them the house However, Big Mama did what she had to do. She cleaned. She did a lot of odds and end jobs to maintain the home. And also in the house is Big Mama's brother. And I think his name is... That's Uncle Pete. Uh, Uncle Uncle Pete. Pete. Uncle Pete. And so we... It's... Again, funny. We all have a Uncle Pete in the family that is... I don't know how to explain it, but it is like, you know, in this instance, they never see Uncle Pete. Um, And I think towards the end of the movie, like we learned that Uncle Pete probably has dementia and he always stays in his room. Um, Mm -hmm. But for me, Uncle Pete doesn't necessarily have to be like the uncle that is always in the room. The states to itself, like, for instance, like my Uncle Pete would literally be like my Uncle Tony. Um, Mm -hmm. He'd been in and out of jail, you know, drug addiction. But that was one of my grandmom's youngest sons. And so he was kind of always like the wild card. We were always kind of sort of scared of Uncle Tony. So it's interesting to look back at the movie and think like, wow, this the dynamic of what they are 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 showing of a black family is very similar to the breakdown of like my actual family. Yeah, I found this movie very relatable. Even, I guess I really found it relatable when I was younger, too, because I always liked this movie. But on this rewatch, I was thinking the same thing you're thinking. Um, for me, Uncle Pete kind of, um, he represents 
someone in the family who has gotten old or sick and although you know some people would default to putting them in a home or getting them some type of long-term care um black families like to stay close-knit a lot of times and say you know what we're not going to allow you know strangers into our family or to take care of our family when we can take care of them ourselves and so although uncle pete didn't leave the room and he never talked to anybody and they just made him meals and he stayed locked up in his room and he might have had dementia they still were keeping him in the family because that's just how a lot of people are they want to keep the family close-knit that's a theme throughout the movie but for me uncle pete is just that person that person who you love them regardless you love them because you're supposed to love them and they are pretty much helpless in a way due to their disability or whatever but they're still a part of the family and you can't cast them aside and so this movie definitely has uncle pete lurking in the background in the room and they're you know they're trying to navigate life and still take care of them yeah. Another thing that I liked about the movie that I don't think as a child I picked up on was when they talked about Big Mama's uh, husband, they like, you know, like he is deceased at this point. But what I didn't realize is that, like, you know, he was an entrepreneur. He owned a corner store. He owned a barbershop. Like, so, again, I love the fact that it's a hidden gem. But, you know, this family comes from hustlers and workers. And again, another complete parallel to my family is that like my grandmom and my grandpa, they were the first black business owners in West Philadelphia on 60th Street. Like my grandmom opened up a beauty salon and my grandfather opened up a barbershop. And that was due to like my great, great grandmother, mama, who was like the matriarch of our family, who was the true entrepreneur. So I love the fact that we get to see this in Soul Food because many of our grandparents and great grandparents, like they had to be hustlers. Like, well, one, a lot of our great and especially people of Chappelle's and I's age, which we're in our 30s. And so, like, our great grandparents probably have, like, like slave great grandparents. So, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, just making that connection. And I, I feel like it's important that they showed that the husband was an entrepreneur. And I just thought that was so interesting that I could be like, wow, like, my grandma, my great grandma were entrepreneurs. They own businesses. So I like the fact that it's not a huge storyline. But when you rewatch it, you can really pick up on the fact that, like, they were truly highlighting black excellence. Oh, yeah. And that's a good point because. In the 90s, it became a very big trend, in, especially in the United States, that people would come from, like, black people would come from broken homes where you'd have, you know, a single mom or and a dad who hasn't been seen around or whatever. And this film is the opposite of that. Everyone in this film um, is a part of a, like, a typical nuclear family. They have the mama and the daddy and then the kids. And that's very important to show because this family is not poor okay this family comes from money because of big mama being an entrepreneur and uh joe her husband being an entrepreneur and then her daughter terry going to law school and then her uh her other daughter getting married and having a successful relationship and then her youngest daughter doing the same thing so it it shows that you know the caricature of what black people were becoming at that time is not a um, like a blanket for all black people. And it showed a different side because we get so caught up watching films that, you know, only show the negative or only show the struggle. This family was not struggling. They were well off. And I was and I was very happy to see that because you get so tired of always seeing, you know, the same played out plot of, you know, the single mom raising kids. And I come from a family with a single moms. Like my mom right. was a single mom and I can relate 
to that. But so seeing, seeing soul food was like, wow, you know, like this is how it looks like when you have the complete uh, family or, you know, you come from a family with some generational wealth. So I was excited about that part. Right. And I, I love that to see that I also came from a single mom. So, you know, watching Soul Food was almost not like fantasy for me, but also like good to see that representation. However, even when you do come from both parents and you come from, I don't like, you know, and you're not you're financially stable. What I liked about it was it showed the interpersonal relationships of families and it showed that, bitch, it's not perfect. And Mm -hmm. no matter what degree you have, no matter if you got husband and kids, no matter if what like there's still that sibling dynamic that for me. I I just can relate to so much in this movie. Um, and again, the older I get, th- the more I feel that I am Terry. Like, you know, bitch, you just can't tell me that I'm not Terry. Um, <laughs> and, so, and, and speaking of Terry, she is married to Miles, which we know from the movie that it's her second husband. And so we clearly know from the lineage of, you know, Maxine marrying Terry's old boyfriend that Terry has had issues with men and it looks like you know terry is a you know she wants she puts her career first and so i feel that that is a struggle that i don't necessarily think i picked up on as a child seeing the fact that terry being a black woman she's uh working all of these strange hours because she wants to be a partner at her law firm and you know the sacrifices that she makes to make this money to be able to provide for her family to be able to pay the bills on her mother's house to be able to give money to her sister for a business to be able to pay for her sister's wedding you know she's working all these hours and you know being a successful black woman but at what cost and we see that it the cost is her marriage and she's married to another lawyer named miles and he is once is wants to be a musician and terry doesn't really support that dream of his um she's like Bitch, you need to be log, <laughs> logging these hours and, you know, making this money like me. And so that kind of sort of is, I feel like the the principal flaw of Terry is that she wants to be so perfect and wants this to to get all these accolades, but at what cost? And it clearly is her marriage. Yeah, so... The the way the movie is set up, of course, we get this whole family and these siblings and their and their um, husbands and their kids. But you kind of follow the path of what's going on with Terry, what's going on with Max and what's going on with Bird through the eyes of Ahmad. And Ahmad is there to watch Terry struggle um, with, you know, balancing being a successful lawyer, lawyer and having a successful marriage at the same time. I think, honestly, my issue with Terry is more of. Why couldn't she be a little bit more lenient on what Miles Miles's dreams were for himself? Because Miles and Terry's relationship is a big part of this uh, movie, but it's because Miles wants to follow his dreams and be a musician. And Terry just feels like, like Bryce was saying, he needs to be trying to be a better lawyer. But regardless, they got a lot of money, so they they've made lawyer they've made good lawyer money. So if Miles wants to go and have a hobby or even pursue a different career, it's not like they were pressed for cash. It's not it's not like Terry had a, just an image that she wanted to maintain. It wasn't even about uh, the amount of money because she talks a lot about money because she ends up paying for everything. But okay. it's more about like what's the picture perfect image for me? Me and my husband that both uh, you know um, 
graduated from law school or making a lot of money. And that's what she wanted. But she was neglecting that Miles didn't necessarily want that. And that's where the turmoil starts between the two of them. Correct. I don't know why I feel like that's like an attack on me, but um, <laughs> I I I can agree. And, and, and rewatching this, there were a lot of things that Terry did and said that I did not agree with. However, the essence of Terry, I agree with. And yeah, like, you know, you absolutely need to be more supportive of your your partner. And I, I think that I don't know. The movie doesn't allude to this, but I I. It made me feel as though in their relationship, Terry was the breadwinner. And it was like, you know, Miles to pursue this music career will almost be on the back of Terry. And I feel like, you know, rewatching this, that's kind of sort of what I felt like was the fundamental breakdown was that like, you know, at one point in time, Miles took out $5,000 for studio time and Terry brings that up. And Miles is like, you know, well, I took $5,000 out of our savings account for the studio time. And she's like, well, c- correct. And he's like, well, it's our money. And she's like, well, baby, $1,325 of it was yours. The rest of it was mine. So that kind of led me to believe that like, okay, well, clearly Terry is putting more into this the miles and yeah so i mean again that's their own personal relationship and i don't know what how they met how what was spoke upon that but again i i feel that in terry's mind because again i feel like the essence of terry is that when they met they were equals and now it's seeming like miles is just becoming one of her sisters like you know someone that Mm -hmm. kind of like pulls at her and so i feel like that's why she was so cold and so hard on miles um and again that's like the adult bryce looking back at terry Uh, then we've got got go ahead you got something to say back no i was saying oh yeah no that that makes a lot of sense for sure um and then you we can- got Maxine, which is Ahmad's mm-hmm. mom, and she's the middle child, um, and arguably, probably Big Mama's favorite, um, in the sense that Big Mama always says that Maxine is the strongest, uh, Maxine is the best cook, and probably in Big Mama's eyes, Maxine is the 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 spitting version of her, like married, producing children. At the start of this movie, Maxine is pregnant with her third child um and so maxine absolutely is the nucleus of the sisterhood in the sense that like her and terry have their disagreements but she still loves terry her and bird are probably close she's close with big mama she's got a husband she's got a mod and so you know maxine is definitely the middle sister however Throughout the movie, we do learn that, you know, the grass isn't always greener and that I feel like Maxine, um, although everyone envies her and her marriage, Maxine says like, well, yeah, y'all got you. You got your salon. Terry's got her lawyer. Like, all I am is just married and I got a bunch of kids. And so I, I like that realness of Maxine to see like the grass isn't always greener. Like I, I might be able to cook. I got a husband, but I still want more. Yeah. And that and that's probably where the conflict between Maxine and Terry comes from, you know, aside from the stolen boyfriend slash husband, um, is that, you know, when you get uh, Terry and Maxine arguing, it's always, well, 
from Maxine's point of view, well, Terry, you so busy doing whatever, you didn't learn how to be a wife and a mother, and I'm a wife and a mother, and that's why Big Mama likes me. And from Terry's point of view, it's like, well, you have time to be a wife and a mother because I'm actually successful in business. And so it's there are two sides of, you know, the same coin, whereas Maxine would love to have, you know, a successful business or a, a successful job or career, and but she has the family that Terry wants, and then Terry has the career that she wants. So right. it's pretty fun to see them kind of bouncing back and forth and then at the, at the at the bottom rung you got bird who's just kind of trying to make it with her new uh husband limb yes and their relationship is interesting uh limb is an ex-con he you know clearly in my opinion is like i don't know he's the closest thing to like guys i feel like that are out right now and i don't even know like at at their wedding when we first meet him he's dancing with his ex-girlfriend very provocatively um but can we can we talk about the wedding the reception absolutely just a a little bit i don't want to get too far off the rails but yeah lim his his ex-girlfriend shows up to his wedding now pause in a freakum dress put your freakum dress on uh, who invited? What do they call it? This hoochie mama okay. to, to this, this big this, butt hoochie mama. Yeah, big booty hoochie mama to this man's wedding reception. You should not have been invited. And then on the flip side, on the flip his, side, his wife Bird, her ex is at the wedding Kenny. reception too. Yeah, no, not Kenny. I'm talking oh, about no. Samuel. Oh, uh, oh. <laughs> we got to get into Samuel. So I want to know why these two exes are even at these people's wedding reception. What what drama? Why y'all bring this drama into y'all life? I have no idea. But this is a part of the first scene in which I knew that I was going to love Vivica Fox's character because Terry, Bird, and Maxine are in the bathroom and Bird's like, who invited this hoochie mama? And, you know, Maxine is like, well, we can go out there and beat her ass and all of the sisters <laughs> agree to that. And yeah. so, um, yeah, I mean, a mess. But who hasn't been to a... a, a, a a, a wedding of color uh, in their lifetime that has not had drama. Uh, so I, I think that that is very, um, yeah, indicative of, you know, portraying an actual wedding. Because again, what I liked about the theme of soul food the most, which again reminds me a lot of my real life family, is that like, and I'll even say like Big Mama. If Big Mama is, she's like Barb to me, and I don't get along with my brothers that well, uh, but we all come together for my mom, or at least we try. But I'd be lying to say. Child, we had a couple of Christmases uh, where the tree was upside down. Like, you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> yeah. I, I think that it's so interesting to actually see that. And again, as a child, I don't think I was able to kind of like comprehend that. But to see it back that, you know, we all love our mom and we want to be there for our mom. But at the end of the day, like our sisters, our brothers are who they are. And they're people that we might get along with them. We might not get along with them. Um yeah. Yeah, the wedding scene is interesting just for that. Like you said, this family 
is like they're showing you that even families that are you know tight knit like this have their own set of drama and so you know like the scene Bryce was talking about Lim is out there at his wedding reception dancing with his ex and boom in walks Bird his wife's ex as well so she's in the bathroom crying because her ex is there and her sisters are trying to get her to go fight the, the new uh, uh, and they know, with it her husband. they with yeah. it yeah, Max and- is pregnant and all <laughs> pregnant and all trying to fight on the dance floor but the central theme of the movie is that Big Mama holds the family together and Big Mama squashes all the drama she goes out there and by the time the sisters get to the dance floor to beat the new hoochie mamas uh, but <laughs> Big Mama is out there backing it up to no diggity oh! by Blackstreet <laughs> so yeah so Soulful you see a lot of the drama but then you see how family keeps tying it back together Yes. Um, And when we break down Bird and her husband, there was an interesting thing that I I did not see until this watching it back. But Bird is somewhat, you would say, successful in the sense that she was loaned money from Terry to start her salon. So she's got a successful salon. Every time we see the salon, people are in it. She's popping. And Lim is working a, you know, blue-collar job. We learn throughout the movie that Lim loses his job because what we want, we know that Lim is fresh home from being incarcerated for selling drugs, and he has a blue-collar job, and he loses his job because the employer finds out that Lim was incarcerated. He lied, saying that he had a felony. So the kind of like internal dynamic between Lim and Bird is that he loses his job. He doesn't want to tell his wife uh, because he doesn't want to be seen as a black man that is like being carried by his woman. And that is very much a a thing that is still a thing today. So I thought that that was so interesting that they touched upon it on then. But we also see that Lim is very, a good worker, very capable of work, but he cannot get a job. And I was like, wow, like look at them really touching on our prison reform system and that, you know, he's went to jail, you know, in my mind for a nonviolent crime and Mm -hmm. has come home, paid his debt to society, and here is this black man trying to get a job, and he can't. And he kind of sort of leans back to the streets a little bit, but I just thought it was interesting that they showed that glimpse of that cycle of a black man trying to better himself. However, the systematic racism, the systematic system that kind of holds our black men down was really affecting him and trying to get a job and it wasn't even so much that he could have lived off a bird and bird could have took care of them but he did not want that he wanted to be a strong black man and provide for his family so i thought that that was interesting because again i first of all i, I didn't probably said this 30 times and i'm you love say 30 more times. we know we know okay but, <laughs> oh don't do that but i mean i, I mean i would have listen i, I would have definitely written Mc, me and Mikel pfeiffer or limb would have been pen pals oh but my gosh. i'm just saying that was a a piece of soul food that I don't think I necessarily picked up on watching in the nineties as a child that mm-hmm. like the fact I, and I'll be honest in my mind when I was watching 
soul food as a child. I was like, ooh, Lim's a thug. Like, oh my God. Like, you know, but rewatching it today, like, he actually was a hard worker. He was looking he for work. Nothing. Like, you yeah. know, and it really showed that struggle of a a black man that may have made a mistake in his life and now he's got this felony on his record and he can't get work and so I, I thought that was interesting the fact that that was in the movie and it was very clear to see Hmm. and did you did you not get okay so for the purple pants listeners uh, last time we talked we talked about bumpy johnson having this same issue bumpy johnson in hoodlum gets out of jail and he has the decision to go make a clean living barely making it he says where can i make good money following the law and you know we said at the time he had a point even though he was turning to crime where else could he have found good money as an ex-con fast forward to soul food food. you know which is shot in the 90s and we see the opposite end of that we see what happens when an ex-con does try to apply for a job and do the right thing he ends up having to ask for favors he ends up getting uh rejected from six different job interviews because he has to put that he's an ex-convict on his uh, application for a nonviolent crime. So although Lim ends up trying to go work at a paper printing factory, the fact that he once uh, went to jail for selling drugs is now affecting that, even though they have nothing to do with each other. This is a nonviolent crime, and he's on probation to where he can't even he can't even mess up one time without going right. back to jail. And so that's the the coolest thing about Bryce calling that out is that we already talked about this. It's just mm-hmm. the flip side of, you know, you could go the Bumpy Johnson route and turn a life to crime and end up how Bumpy Johnson ended up. Or you could go the limb route and try to do things the right way and end up unemployed. They put you in a system, and that's why they call it systemic, you know, Mm. where you can't get out of this hole that you're in Mm -hmm. from making a small mistake. And now, 20 years after this movie, marijuana is legalized and decriminalized in many states. And there are harder drugs decriminalized as well. And so people are making money, not black men, but a lot of people in powerful positions are making a lot of money off of the same drugs that kept uh, men like limb in the system uh, where they could not provide for their families and did not have the esteem to be able to build themselves up because of the system always keeping them down that was crazy and and let's just be clear that people like Lim are still in jail for marijuana and other charges like that when it's currently legal so let let, Mm -hmm. let's just also talk about that because there was a, (laughs) a war on drugs and three strikes and you're out so there is like I, we just just can't forget about the criminal justice and reform system that like we have people in jail currently still right now serving 80 years for selling marijuana. Yeah. Mostly people yeah. of color, mostly men, black and brown. So, again, I just have to just say that because, you know, although, you know, me, I love me a good inmate, but I like for them to come home and I like for them not to be there. So, again, I just love the fact that we are touching on that. Another thing that they touch on in the black families is health issues. And Big Mama is the nucleus of the family. She loves to see her family together. However, she is getting older and she suffers from some ailments, specifically diabetes mm-hmm. and you know, we could even dive a little deeper into that and to, you know, the type of foods that, you know, are customary in a black family. And we can yeah. even go deeper as to why they are customary in a black family. But, you know, mm-hmm. Big Mama has diabetes and, you know, she is at risk of losing her leg. She does not want to lose her leg. And due to pressure from her family, 
um, she, against her will, decides to have surgery for her like getting her leg amputated because her diabetes are out of control. And yeah. I thought that that was so interesting. And again, I, I just want to tell a personal story. Uh, my grandmother, it. she died of lung cancer. My grandma was a smoker and um, she was diagnosed stage four. My grandma didn't want to go through chemotherapy when she was diagnosed. My grandma was like, I want to just live my best life and do what I want to do. Um, however, you know, in my family, uh, I have an aunt that is would definitely be a Maxine. My mom would definitely be Terry. Uh, they have internal conflicts, um, but they convinced my grandma or they wanted my grandma to like fight for your life and like fight to live. And, you know, my grandma ultimately went and got chemotherapy and probably two and a half months after my grandma got chemotherapy, she passed. So I just say to say that it's interesting Again, another parallel that I can relate so food to my life is that Big Mama was very adamant about not getting her leg amputated. And although in the movie Big Mama did pass, she passed prematurely. If Big Mama did not have that surgery, she probably could have lived another two, three years. But... I, again, I think that is so interesting that Big Mama felt compelled to like, okay, I need to fight for my life. I'm going to fight for my life for my children. And I feel like very similarly that my grandma do that. And, you know, she went through chemotherapy and, you know, chemo was like poison to your body. And ultimately it like, you know, that is just whatever. But I, I, I thought that was so interesting. Yeah, the diabetes part of the movie is very important because there's a reason why the movie is called Soul Food. And it's not just a metaphor for, you know, like, oh, like the this woman is feeding into her family, but she's literally feeding them. These people right. are eating Sunday dinner every uh, every week to kind of come together. And that's Big Mama's way of seeing her kids and seeing her family in front of her and also keeping the family tied together throughout all the drama. Right. And the problem with Soul Food, um, the movie and the actual food, is that it's, the, it's bad for you right in the movie they highlight that the, the black people are eating these catfish uh, yeah cat fried catfish chitlin pig feet pig feet uh, neck bones uh, like these parts of the animal that might not necessarily be the best for you and also not like prepared in the healthiest way but right. this is just uh, traditions that have been passed down since slavery past, right because exactly. you know why they would they would kill the pig for bacon and give the scraps to the slaves mm -hmm. and the slaves being as resourceful as they are we gonna eat and we gonna make the best of what we eat and so hog mugs pig feet yes. ham hocks like you know it was mm -hmm. turned from like ugh, here eat this to us being like we gonna turn this into a delicacy yeah. and again through our that that's been the tradition tradition of our families so like this is like we'll make the best of it and and by gone it we made it good i was like talking to rob the other day and i like am obsessed with like watching people cook pig feet on youtube I, okay. i've never had it before but i don't know you why never like, had pig just, feet I, I've, I, I mean, you know, we eat chitlins, but I've never actually had pig feet. You know, I'm, I'm a city boy. I know. I know. I'm from Texas. We eat pig oh. feet here. <laughs> I want a pickle pig feet, too. Uh, oh, yeah. But oh, that's what you give me yeah. for my birthday. Send me some pickle pig I, feet. I got you. Look, I've seen you some fried ribs. Oh. Anyway, listen, we ain't got to get into our, our, our okay. food preferences a lot. But yeah, but the food does matter because it is ultimately the thing that's holding the family together, but also... Having What's a long-term effect family. on Big Mama, yeah, and so they 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 find themselves in a position where Big Mama is uh, in a coma, 
Uh, she has uh, she gets her leg amputated against, you know, against her first or her initial, you know, instincts. And then she goes into a coma, which happens when you have, you know, have diabetes. These are these are the risks. And she goes into a coma for five weeks, I believe. And during this time, uh, Maxine, her middle child, the rock of the family, I guess you would say, or Big Mama's favorite. She is like, we got to keep having Sunday dinner because that's what Big Mama would want. Now, let's stop down on that. The same food that's killing <laughs> Big Mama, they're like, let's go back and eat some more. And that's kind of the paradox that they're in. It's, it's this tradition that might not be the best thing for you, but it's all you know. And it's such a solid foundation for their family. So it was interesting. Like when I was younger, I never thought about that. But now I'm sitting here watching the movie thinking, well, why are you going to eat that? Y'all know y'all ain't going to get no, right. no vegetables or nothing. But we see it all the time. Like, uh, you know, if if I know that, you know, uh, drinking can be bad for your liver, that don't mean I'm going to stop drinking. I might right. have a drink here and there or whatever and say, oh, you know, I'll probably drink less or whatever. But a lot of people find themselves in situations where they're leaning on these, um, you know, comforts. Yeah. And comforts, you know, like like uh, Bryce had mentioned uh, the lung cancer thing. You know, you're a smoker. You know, the risk of, is getting lung cancer. And then when you get lung cancer, it's really hard to stop smoking even then because nicotine is addictive. And so right. you find yourself leaning on habits and addictions and ultimately they're really bad for you a lot of times and so there's no judgment for this family doing that because we all do it you just really hope that you're able to identify the things that are that are bad for you and kind of release yourself from the hold they have on you and it's interesting because when Big Mama is in a coma, it's really when the family deteriorates. We also, before Big Mama went into a coma, her sister who has passed has a daughter named Faith. And when her, Big Mama's sister passed, Big Mama kind of sort of took Faith in as her own daughter. And Faith was sort of troubled. You know, we know that she was supposed to be going in New York being a stripper in a, uh, the rap videos. And so... Faith is a, a a world of trouble, and we'll get to that. Um, but when Big Mama is in a coma, it really kind of starts the nucleus of the the breakdown of the family. Because here is Maxine, who is very much in line with her mom. Like, let's have family dinner. This is what mom will money. And Terry being like, bitch, we can't have family dinner right now. Mommy's in the hospital. Like, we need to, like, mourn. We need to figure things out. And so when it's looking like Big Mama is not going to get well... Terry being the financial, the the financially stable and like I, I'll even say savvy is like we need to sell the house and everyone's like oh no we can't sell the house this is what Big Mama worked for and Terry's like well I'm the one paying the mortgage I'm the one doing this and that so like no we and her medical bills and even at a point when they had a meeting saying like listen Big Mama's medical bills are her insurance is not going to pay for all of this so let's all put our money together and then you know Max even says well maybe Terry and Miles can pay for it and we'll all pay y'all back so mm-hmm. again where I feel like a lot of my predicament is is because you know no shade to me but I feel like I am the you know mature I am the stable one in my family and I feel like um, a lot of my mom's decisions or things like I feel like will be left to me and so there it's just a lot of parallels that I see in myself in Terry. But so, go ahead. Well, Bryce, hold on. I think the issue here, though, also is that Terry's Terry's narrative is that I'm successful and y'all make me pay for everything. Like she paid for the wedding. She's right. paying for like she, whenever and something comes up. Big Mama's house. She's paying for Big Mama's house. So whenever something comes up, it's like, okay, Terry, you go ahead. You and Miles, since y'all are the rich lawyers, y'all go ahead and handle the bills. Now, from a practical standpoint, 
it makes sense. Terry, pay your mama's health, you know, your uh, medical bills real quick and we will pay you back. The issue is that Terry, one, is tired of that. She's tired right. of being that person. But also, it's Max who presents this to her. The same Max that's throwing it up in her face that she don't have a, uh, she ain't got no husband and she's so busy worried about work she can't keep a man is the same one like, okay, well, since you can't keep a man, go ahead and pay mama's bills. Hold on. Hold on. Right. Max, you got to slow down because just a second ago, I was, oh, you stole, first off, you stole my man. Let's start uh, there. Uh, <laughs> you, like, my brother Ahmad is my me. son. Ahmad right. is oh my, my gosh. son. Oh my gosh. Yeah, but, <laughs> no, Bryce. But yeah, <laughs> she's sitting, she's sitting across from her brother in law who she used to date. And that is Max's fault. And so it's kind of like, I hear you, but you really ain't in no position to put me there. Um, and so it's a lot of where the interpersonal comes in and in, in the, in the play. And there's times where the most practical thing is not realistic just because of the emotional side uh, and ties that people have. So had it been someone else coming to Terry a different way, probably would have gone over a little bit better. But for Max and her to be feuding and then Max just show up and they'll be like, OK, well, Terry, you go ahead and handle this and then we'll just pay you back whenever. Right. Uh, I don't blame Terry for pushing back. She she wrong because that's her mama. But, you know, I don't blame her for pushing back. So I think it's also important to say that night that they had this family meeting was at Max and Kenny's 11 year anniversary. Um, and not only was it at their 11 year anniversary, but cousin Faith, who had came into town a couple of weeks ago and everyone was like, oh, she can't stay with me. She can't stay with me. So she has to stay with Terry. Yeah. So uh, wait a minute. Don't forget, they said cousin Faith was trouble because she was dancing and stripping and dancing in videos. Mm-hmm. That's a very like old fashioned way of looking at life, you know. Like, mm-hmm, here goes Faith again. Last time we so checked, ba- she was stripping. You know, <laughs> I, if it was twenty twenty one, they would be calling Faith a thought. Um, uh-huh. I, and people I would believe- be telling them not to not to shame sex workers and strippers because they have right. jobs and it's legitimate. <laughs> so. The same night that Maxine has this conversation about Terry paying the medical bills, um, another thing, another notable thing to to note is that, again, the same sister Maxine who is saying, Terry, you don't have no husband, you don't have no kids, all you do is work. Uh, Terry is actually caring for her son Ahmad throughout the movie. Ahmad has been staying with Terry. Um, Again, uh, Cousin Faith has come into Terry's house. Terry, like, you got to get a job. However, same time Terry's husband has been saying I want to pursue my music career Terry's like no you need to focus on your job he's having these showcases and Terry's like I can't go and coincidentally Faith you know uh, you know a a younger cousin that's used to hip hop she goes to a local club one night and to find who but Terry's husband there playing the music so they sort of kind of have Baby, oh, and my, but here's the thing though Babyface was at the club but he wasn't in the studio when they was recording the song though cause I was looking I was like why ain't Babyface oh I guess the budget of the movie they could only but yes <laughs> Babyface was definitely singing with uh, Terry's husband so they had this little connection and you know one day the day of the party Faith comes home and she's like is Terry here and he's like no she's not and so they start drinking and Faith says like I have to get out I can't uh, stay under Terry she's a lot and her husband I don't know why what, like what's her husband name I don't know why I'm like um, this is this is Miles Miles this is Miles yeah. Miles is like you know you're running you can't keep running so one thing leads to another Miles goes up into his studio Faith follows and they start to have sex 
Okay, yeah. but, sti- but standing up sex. So, <laughs> simultaneously, because I remember watching that, that part, and I remember, like, because my mom was there. I was like, ooh. So, anyway, si- yeah, Simon was, okay. Miles, <laughs> Miles was, okay. Listen, Miles was trying to be the freak of the week in the 90s, and I didn't even know. Oh, my God. But, but little did he know, Bird's ex. Okay, is the one that could have been anyway. But um, wait so- a minute, Bryce. Hold on, <laughs> you can't just slip that in there. Stop it. Um, you know, a thing that a thing that really brought Miles and and um Miles and Faith together is that you know Terry did not really care about Miles' dreams, and Miles found somebody who who did faith really did uh feel like okay i'm supporting miles by coming to this and uh, he sounds like a good musician but also there's a moment where faith is on the street and she needs help because she's trying to uh do her dance audition and miles sees her on the side of the road and that's his cousin so he goes and you know oh i'll play the piano for you so she could do her dance audition she dances to uh don't leave i think by black street mm-hmm. and um and you know they bond there and so by the time they link up in that studio the tension is already already been building because she realizes hey he supported me in this moment and he says she supported me in my moment and they kind of find mm. comfort in each other the problem mm. is they filthy dirty cheaters but also Terry is on her way home with the okay and so <laughs> here's another thing that I did not notice the scene when Terry comes home and discovers that I didn't peep that like when her and Ahmad came home um, and they're like Miles Miles and she like oh he must be up in the studio and Miles is like oh let's go up there I didn't peep that prior to them going to the studio they were downstairs drinking beer and like you know Faith was laying on the floor with her booty shorts and her butt out (laughs) I didn't peep that when like Terry walks in those are things that she notices like she picks the pillow up she notices that there's two beers there I don't know why for me that I was just like ooh Terry know what's going on so anyway they go upstairs and Terry catches them in the act she doesn't even say anything she immediately takes Miles back to Maxine's house and they have the party and it is the classic scene of soul food where you know all throughout the party Max and my, not Max, but Max and Kenny are lovey-dovey. They playing love songs. They, they probably are playing Cisco. We not making love. Yes. And, Look. you know, Terry is, <laughs> Terry's in her feelings. And, yeah. you know, she's in and out. She then goes into the kitchen. Then Kenny comes into the kitchen. She immediately goes into Kenny's arms. And yeah. she's like, what if we worked out? Yeah. You know, and, this this is a relatable scene for me, Bryce, because the house party in general was so typical of what you would see in something so like lit. Family. Yes. Right. Like like they're dancing, they got in the living know, room total plan. Yeah. Yeah, the food is there. They got the like red light on. The, they're doing the soul train line, which is a staple. They all uh, look good a good black party gonna have a good soul train line. It's just gonna happen. And so they're doing all of that and the whole time Terry is going through because she's yes. seen, you know, what happens when you leave your uh, your husband that is might not be the happiest with Faith, who uh, also is kind of unhappy in life. So you just left them together and she knows and she's carrying this weight around. Like Bryce said, she goes into the kitchen and she falls into the arms of Kenny because Kenny 
it's been 11 years. I don't think she still has feelings for Kenny at all, but it's definitely like a question of... And that moment, had, like, right. Yeah. I, if, what, what if, if I, I had, had you? Yeah, or what if I had what Max has? You know, we talked about this earlier where she's envious of that, the, the family part. Like, man, if I could have just worked out with t- Kenny, I wouldn't be having these issues. He don't cheat, da 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 But it wasn't a romantic embrace. It was definitely one of those, like, I just need somebody to talk to. And right as she's having that moment, that's when the entire family walks into the kitchen. All the siblings and Miles walk into the kitchen and I don't know what possessed Miles to come to this party. And then Faith right. walks into the party too. Well, Why? also because they didn't know that Terry saw them. But again, yeah. my whole thing is like the way Miles was acting at the party. Bitch, you acted like you did something. You don't mm-hmm. even know that Terry knows. Right. He didn't come in faking the funk, like jumping in the jumping in the soul train line, hitting the tootsie. Right. Ball. He like on the side, kind of. He's like, like on the oh, sideline, like eating carrots and celery, like looking all like weird. Like, <laughs> like that a lost was like puppy. Right. So I didn't understand yeah. that. So well, anyway, because go well, ahead. I, I kind of got it a little bit because in the no, moment, when, that, when no, hear me, hear me out. When uh, when when Miles and uh. Miles and uh, Faith have their moment. They finish. Afterwards, they, they, look, they both. They look miserable, though. Oh, they well, you like did it. They, oh, yeah, well, you like, did it. You I'm not, did it. I'm not, I'm not making excuses for Sorry. them. I'm just saying. That was Terry. I, that was the Terry I, in me. That was yeah, the no, that is the Terry in you coming out. But no, I, I, see, I saw that they could tell, like, oh, crap, we messed up. And so they kind of both showed up at the party like, oh, man, like, I feel super guilty about this, which is why I said, why did they even come? If y'all right. Well, like why that? did Faith come? That's <laughs> yeah. like, so here's the thing. Like I said, I had a lot of change of hearts of a lot of characters in this movie. I definitely feel more relatable to Terry. But, bitch, no. Bye, Faith. I didn't like Faith in the 90s, and I don't like her now. Um, <laughs> so, which is more important, what Chappelle just explained. All of this has been building up for Terry. And then this is the moment that they decide. Uh, uh, okay. Another true black staple of a black family party is that. Yes. A big sharp knife. Not even a no, big sharp knife. But no. <laughs> yes. You. Let's actually all drink and have a good time. And then let's have a serious conversation. I think that mm-hmm. that's like, uh, I can't tell you how many times that that has happened in my family. Like, maybe this isn't actually the best idea. And another thing that I want to bring up in Soul Food is that there are a lot of things that are, that they portray in black families that are staples that I can absolutely relate. But Mm -hmm. from an adult who is college educated, who is in the mental health field, I can absolutely say this also shows a lot of what happens in my family that, again, I feel like we need to break as a cycle. So, mm-hmm. ag- again, even this moment, the fact that, like, Maxine thought that this was an appropriate time to have a, like, to make a medical decision for their mom at a party when everybody's been drinking. And clearly you're not even paying attention to the crowd to see that like Terry is off. But anyway, that's one example, but there is another major example that I want to bring up. But so the, (laughs) the classic, classic, classic movie of the line is that, you know, here they are saying like the insurance is not going to pay for mama's bills and you know Miles and Terry can pay for it and Terry's like I ain't going for that like why do I have to do that and then Terry says the classic line like you know what no no F this family and everybody's like oh what and she's like yeah that's right F this family I let this family in my house and the family F my husband husband, and everybody and mind you the way that Vivica Fox 
slash Maxine in that moment looks at Miles is like, ah, I could yeah. die. She yeah, like, she out, brother. Faith. F my husband. my husband. This is the craziest line of the movie, man. It's <laughs> so like, whoa, like, why y'all doing this at the party? At the party. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I think I think you pointed out a good a, a good thing right there with this. This is Maxine's fault because her okay. sister is vivid. She's going through in the kitchen. She is going through it, and Kenny noticed. And Kenny is her ex. Well, everybody noticed. Terry was not dancing. Terry yeah. was not eating. She sit like butt again. Yeah. But they noticed, and Maxine came right in. And the first thing I okay. heard off was like, Terry, we're going to need your money. And it's like, dang, can I can I be more than just your ATM? What'd she say? Automatically Terry's money? Auto- like, automatically Terry's money. <laughs> yeah. Can I be more than your ATM in that moment? And so now you have this big climactic moment of, you know, uh, we've made this big reveal about Faith and Miles and Terry just snaps. She grabs the huge knife and she is after <laughs> Miles. She's about to take him out the game. Then she see Faith too and she pointed at Faith. And, and it it just kind of slows down in that moment and I think they they that's when she realizes, you know what? Look at me. I look like a crazy person about to kill my cousin over my cousin and my husband being stupid. Uh, uh, this ain't gonna end well for me. Let me just stop. She realized the whole family is looking at her. She looks like a crazy person, honestly, in that moment, even though she is completely justified in her reaction. And at that point, it's kind of like, there goes the wind out of the sails of everybody. That ruins, right. that's the end of the party. And that's kind of the end of the family for the time being in the movie. Right. And later on, uh, or shortly after Big Mama passes, one thing that is notable is that... Uh, they were all going to see Big Mama together and they would always be fighting. And that's when kind of sort of Terry suggested that we sell Big Mama's house. Uh, but the one person that was continuing to go see Big Mama, talk to Big Mama, was Ahmad. So when Big Mama wakes up from her a coma, she is like, oh, I knew that you would be here. And she tries to voice to him and she's like, I know the family's a mess. And she essentially voices to him like, I need for you to get the family back together but in in that breath she is like grasping for air and essentially dies and we see like you know the funeral of big mama which again i'm y'all know me i love to cry at movies and just that uh yeah i just that scene for me just sends me over the roof and after big mama dies terry keeps her promise of selling the house the sisters don't like it um Bird's husband Lim is at this point in jail because Mm -hmm. Bird through the ex-boyfriend that came to her wedding um, who's always interested in her buying her nice Samuel okay wait what's his name N-U-L it's Samuel like Samuel but with an I Well, listen, I'm call him Samuel. Listen, well, Samuel can come over here by me. Oh, my gosh. Nice gifts. And listen, I, I will I will guarantee Cisco, we not making love, won't be playing no more. But anyway, oh so <laughs> he is uh, she after 
Lim breaks down to Bird that he's not working. She does what she needs to do, which I feel like most female in this situation can relate, is that, like, my man needs a job. I'm going to do what I have to do to get, to get him a job. And, you know, promises NUL a date, and he gets Lim a job at a printing factory. Lim's so excited. He feels like he got it on his own, only to find out one day when Lim is eating lunch that, you know, I, I don't know why I can't say NUL. Samuel, I told you, like Samuel. You can just call him Simmy. Yeah, but Simmy, 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 Simmy shows up. Yeah, Simmy shows up at lunch, and he basically tells, "Okay, pause." Simmy is about to do some dirty mac in here. Okay, he mm. still wants Bird. We didn't really talk about this, but he don't need Bird. He, he, he can have me. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, in this world, he wanted Bird <laughs> in the soul food world. Now, and, and look, it, and now we might have to send you uh, Simmy's way. But back then, he wanted Bird, and that's why he showed up to the wedding. He showed up to cause drama, and so now here he is. He he pops up periodically to uh, Bird's uh, salon, and he says like, "Hey, look." You with this ex-convict, he broke. Why are you with him? Don't you miss me? You know, he's Dirty Mac in the whole movie. So when Bird goes to him for this favor, he looks at that as a moment to capitalize. Like, oh, not only am I going to help Bird and get uh, a dinner date, but I'm also going to kind of use this moment to son her husband. Uh, and he, when I say son, I mean like one up him. And so mm-hmm. when when Lim is at work, he's talking about his um, his you know his job, and he's sitting there eating his lunch, minding his own business. Samuel shows up and. Samuel is from upper management. He's like, oh, no, I I don't work down here with the grunts. I work up there in corporate, but I just came in here to talk to you and give you some advice, some advice Lim didn't ask for. And Uh Samuel sits down and says, hey, Lim, basically... I used to sleep with your wife. He doesn't say it in those words, but that's what he insinuates. Coca-Cola. Yeah, and Lim reacts, and he uh, he attacks uh, Samuel, as someone probably would do in that situation, and that gets him fired. Now, once he gets fired from his job, he's obviously upset because now he's found out that not only that Samuel used to sleep, well, used to be with Bird at that point, you know, when she was younger, but he also is the reason why he got the job. Bird's um, relationship with Samuel is what got uh, Lim the job. So Lim now has a beef with Bird and he shows up to her salon and he basically like makes a whole ruckus. They like go into the shouting match. Very, very ghetto. They go into the shouting match <laughs> in, the, in the closet screaming like, how, do, how could you do this to me? Like, you, how do you have me looking in this face like they're going back and forth and when he leaves uh he goes to the bar to kind of drown his sorrows bird is crying in the in the in the closet and i guess word gets back to terry well and big because listen big big sis terry has a huge interest in the salon because she has funded it so Mm -hmm. ahmad tells us that big sister terry from hearing from the reports from the people in the salon they feel like limb beat bird but he he didn't beat her he like you know was he didn't beat her that's just the no. bottom line but terry thought again being in big sister mode she thought that Lim put his hands on her sister and like any sister and especially a black sister she called mm-hmm. her big cousin who's in cousin and out of Limpy. jail yeah cousin to, okay <laughs> to come handle him and so yeah. He pulled up at the bar, but what they did not know was Lim was packing. Okay, mm-hmm. so and Lim ain't no punk. And, ooh, turn, okay. Lim, Lim, Lim had a what? What Bryce meant was Lim has a gun for those uh, un, unfamiliar with him packing. Um, uh, <laughs> you have to. I you mean, have to well, clarify, if you see the movie, you talk about Bryce. I'm Lim, Bri, Bri, well, Bryce. It, we not know it, Bryce. Bryce, you talk about the you, gun. 
We talk about the gun. The movie. We is talking about the gun. You know okay. that he packed it with the gun, the gun and without the gun. Hey, right. okay, go ahead. Please. Go ahead. We Sorry. we Sorry. avoided this. I, I'm no. trying to listen. I can't it enjoy this gun. movie. We can enjoy the movie, but dang, can we let the people? Know I'm just that the saying, man had a gun. He was packing with the gun. Packing with the gun in his pants. Yeah, he had the packing gun in his pants. <laughs> Bryce, he had the pa- gun in his pants. He was packing, and he pulled the gun. Um, the people <laughs> blimp. Uh, cousin Blimp and the, his boys who came to jump him at the bar, and by pulling the gun, we talked about this earlier. This is a part of his probation. You can't uh, just mm. pull guns on people anyway. But you know, Blimp is at this point broken his probation, and he is going back to jail. So this entire time that Big Mama's been in a coma, Lim has been in jail, and that's kind of where we leave that relationship until Big Mama passes and Terry starts to feel bad. Um, well. First off, she gets confronted by Max. You want to talk about that? Uh, at the dinner table? At, when they yeah, went out to lunch? They, they so meet her at, the, at lunch. They yeah. meet her at lunch. And again, this is... When I say Terry is me, Terry is me. So, Terry, again, is like, I'm selling the house. I, I can't afford it. And boom. So, even before we get there... So, we also have to talk about two other things. So, there has been this myth that... Big Mama and uh, their dad was a a gambler and that Big Mama stashed a lot of money. So Big Mama is sitting on this fortune. Everyone always talks about it as like it, it's mythical, like it does not exist. Also, Uncle Pete is a character that we don't get to see. And so we never see Uncle Pete. We just see him like taking his food and leaving. So when Terry puts the house for sale after Big Mama passes, Maxine is just going by the house because that's what they do to go by the house to just like make sure Uncle Pete eats and whatever. Uncle Pete is downstairs and it's the first time that we see in the movie Uncle Pete. And again, what Chappelle was talking about earlier uh, when we were saying like as a black family, we don't send our family to the home and it was even talks in the movie about sending uncle pete to the home and selling the house and we clearly see that uncle pete when he sees maxine he feels as though maxine is a uh, big mama and he's talking to her like he's his big sister and maxine is kind of like going back and forth like no that's my mom and then there's a moment where i feel like any of us who have ever dealt with anyone with like mental health issues or with dementia where you you don't fight their reality anymore. You realize, like, you know what? This is Uncle Pete or this is our loved one. And she's just like, yep, yep, you're right. You want something to eat? You want something to eat? And so, again, it kind of sort of renews Maxine's feeling that, like, we need to keep this home. And at the very least for Uncle Pete. So after Terry has you know, called cousin and got limb sent to jail. She's got the house for sale. Um, after the funeral, after faith, her husband, she ain't dealing <laughs> with the family and rightfully so they, the sisters call a, a lunch meeting where it's bird and Maxine and they are like basically sitting Terry down and they're like, and Terry is very cold. And like, again, this, this whole scene is if anybody ever pisses me off and then you want to talk about it. If you ever see this movie, this scene, how Terry is, is me. And I almost feel like I, I don't do that. I, I, Look, y'all, Purple Pants Posse. I had seen this side of Bryce. Okay, I'm not going to tell you. I've seen it, okay? That's all I'm saying. But I almost, <laughs> I feel like, though, 
I got it from this scene in the movie. You honestly, think you got this from this I, is like I, your, I, your moment, I, right? This honest, is when you were like, I, I got this. <laughs> I honestly, like, I literally like turned the volume up and was like, like captivated in the scene. So clearly, we know Terry is hurting, um, and the sisters are coming to be like, "Girl, we know you hurt." But you are taking this out on everybody and it's not fair. And Terry doesn't have a response. Her response is, I'm sorry. And so Maxine is like, okay, well, listen, girl, we know you a lawyer, but guess what? We actually sought legal counsel and we're filing an injunction to stop the selling of mommy's house. And Mm -hmm. again, so and that's the ultimate play to Terry. And Terry takes it. She says, Okay. And she gets up and she pumps off out of the restaurant. And when I tell you, oh, I don't know why that that in your soul. I felt that in my soul because it's like, I'm not going to let y'all just get up under me. Mm -hmm. And so, again, we see the sisters like reenacting, like taking like you're not just going to do this because Terry is the legal guardian of Big Mama, which also I think is important to talk about because a lot in black families and some families in general, people don't have wills. People don't have uh, guardianship. People don't have a lot of attorneys, powers of attorneys. And so ultimately, a lot of these things and... Even when there is power of attorney, there's resentment to that. The fact that, like, Big Mama knew that Terry is good with finances, I know that I can trust her. Um, You know, that also leaves Bird and Maxine feeling like, what the, like, so Terry just could do whatever. So that causes a lot of family dynamic. Um, And so at this point, the, the family is just ultimately split. After Big Mama dies in front of Ahmad, Ahmad feels compelled that Big Mama has given him this task of bringing the family back together. So, we see Ahmad, and again, Ahmad is the nucleus, and very much so uh, indicative of, I feel like, black families. Like, for instance, my mom and her sister, they don't get along a lot. However, my mom never stopped me from going over to my aunt's house. Like, you know, like, my, I always yeah. was at my aunt's house. Like, that, that's like, I, you know, they say it's a, 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 it takes a village to raise mm-hmm. a, a child. And so I like the fact that Ahmad was like the nucleus. He could pop here and there. Despite what the adults thought about each other, they never stopped the children from being able to see each other. And I thought that see, that was like very true. I didn't like that, though. So I don't mind the family, like, you know, um, raising this kid as, you know, as the family's kid. You know, we see that in in a lot of families. Like, my little cousins could come over here today, and I'm just going to open the door. Um, But... Amaya was all in these grown folk business, okay? When, but, when, t- when, look, no, listen. Okay. When Miles cheated, Amaya was right there. When, um, when, uh, Uncle Pete showed that, up, that, Amaya was somewhere in the house. Like, Amaya be in the mix. When Big Mama died, he was right there. So, Amaya is telling the story of this movie from his point of view, but he got all the dirt. He got it all. And you like, man, you really don't want this 10-year-old kid running their mouth. He riding around with Lim in the car and Lim I got the gun. You know, like, uh, where, what happened in this movie that Ahmad didn't witness? You know, like, that's a lot to put on a child. But let me I ask really, you, let me let me mm-hmm. ask you this. You growing up, you didn't know the tea about your family? No, I did. And I think that's what I'm, t- that's why I'm trying to call that out is because sometimes you get so caught up in family drama that you forget that the kids are right there and the kids are not dumb. Well, they, well right. Uh, pe- 
you know, they're very emotionally intelligent. Let's start there. But, you know, he could see what everybody else couldn't see because he was moving, uh, uh, you know, amongst the family. So so had anybody asked Ahmad, does Lim have a gun? He probably would have said, would, yeah. Have, right. Have it, had, uh, had it not been for Terry stopping him, he was three inches away from seeing, you know, Miles and Terry, uh, I mean, Miles and Faith uh, doing that thing. You know, he was there when Big Mama died. Miles is in every place where you would probably say, maybe they should be sheltering this, ch- this kid a little bit. But see, so, I, I disagree they, with that. Only in the sense, though, I don't, I, I feel like Miles was making, I'm not Miles, I feel like Ahmad was making himself available, though. And I, I feel like I was like that as a child. Like, I don't feel like my mom. business. I guess. I, like, but that's <laughs> what we do. But, and again, I don't think that that's necessarily a reflection on his parents, like, parenting, though. I think that that is, like, us as kids being, like, our parents can't protect us or stop us from everything. Like, we're going, there are, it's ish that we get into that is is like uh, of us being curious minds and oh, yeah. so i don't i don't know like i feel yeah. like i don't think as parents they did a bad job all i'm saying is that sometimes you get wrapped up in your bigger drama that you miss some of the key moments because we'll notice that in the very like the biggest scene of the movie miles is the one who pulls all of this together because he has all the information but he's the one being affected by this the most this right. little boy is crying trying to beg to get his family to come together and they haven't even noticed that it's tearing him apart you know so right. it's kind of like yeah they couldn't see the forest for the trees they're having like petty argument here oh i got your husband locked up but i paid for your husband to do this but i buy in your house but you doing this to me and you said this about me meanwhile this little kid is having a nervous breakdown and ain't nobody right. noticed. so you know no, I so mean, that's all i'll point out that is a good point like no and again i feel like so i feel like the bigger point is that because they were just caught up in the drama they were not uh, emotionally aware of their Mm -hmm. son ahmad i I, uh, completely agree with that but i just stand by the point that like i feel like i like my mom was rather strict with us as to where we can go and what we could see but bitch i knew everything i I, like i like i like i was up in everything knew everything where everything was saw everything like you you know like you know i knew if the grown-ups came over if my uncles and came over and it was smoke smoke upstairs like i knew but but anyway (laughs) i i ain't trying to incriminate barb or nobody but no um, it's fair it's fair though it's just it's just one of those moments where you kind of i was watching it for the first time thinking you know we were getting this from the the story from Ahmad's point of view and when even when faith first shows up Ahmad is the one who says faith ain't nothing but trouble i heard she was a stripper (laughs) um Ahmad, you're 10 years old you maybe you need to sit down i guess you know what? Ain't no cartoons on. You know, like <laughs> you know. I guess I will in retrospect because I've actually, I, I'll give that to you. And I don't like to give you anything because I'm Terry and you're Maxine. But I actually, uh, I will I'm give. Kitty. I'm I, a troublemaker. <laughs> I will give that to you. I think that I neglect that. You know, Ahmad is narrating this movie, and that he is like 11. I think that I I do. I do glimpse over that. So mm-hmm. you are like you, I, I, I agree to that. And I, I'm just stopping and thinking like, actually, bitch, he right. Because yeah. like, if, yeah, this 11 year old is narrating everything. Right. And he's in the thick of it. And you know, it just kind of right. Even when, uh, when Lim gets arrested, there it's, it's bird in the car with, with Ahmad, with Ahmad. Like, can you pull over the car? She gets out the car running like, Lil, please, that's my husband. And Ahmad is like, oh, shoot. You know, he has to see his uncle, uncle. arrested. You know, and 
you know, that kind of stuff is traumatic. And that's stuff that yeah. you don't forget. You know, you grow up your whole life like, yeah, I remember that time I was outside mm-hmm. the place and, and, and Uncle M got uh, arrested and got sent to jail. You know, that kind of stuff sticks with people. And when I was younger, I did not see this. I guess I saw it through my own point of view, right? And just kind of like how you were watching it, just like watching it as a movie. But when, now that watching it, you know, from as an adult, like you've been saying, I was looking at it through a mod point of view and I was like, man, this is kind of screwed up for him to have to deal with this. Um, I like that he had a good relationship with his entire family. Like even when Lim is him and Rod around and he's talking to Lim, Lim is telling him like, Hey, don't get yourself in the same positions I got in. Um, so they're giving him nuggets of wisdom, but, and there's no way you can protect people from everything. But yeah, you definitely don't want to get in a situation where so much little drama has exploded to bigger drama and you're overlooking the things that really matter. Right. But I, I, I and, and honestly, like, I feel like that is the experience of a lot of people, though, because mm-hmm. I, I, I honestly, and this is no shade to my mom or my family, like, I feel like I've, in my childhood, which I don't even think of it in that aspect, but I see more traumatic things than I'm out in my childhood. And I feel like my childhood was fine. But yeah. again, I feel like there are, like I said before, some things in this movie that highlights very positive things. And there are some things in this movie that highlights some things that are like not so great that I feel like us as a community at like need to work on or need to say like, that's not okay. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that this is absolutely one of the things where like, you know, I think that we forget that our children are sponges. They see and hear absolutely everything. And yeah. again, like um, uh, this 11 year old should not be moderating moderating this movie and giving us all of this tea how all he is tea. giving it all of every it. Like, drop every every bit of information <laughs> that me and Chappelle just told y'all bitch is from Ahmad and he 11 <laughs> right he could have had this podcast on his own because my okay. got all the information we got questions and my, uh, my got answers. he could answer them and I, but, I think like you were saying this is a very honest up to this point I feel like this was a very honest portrayal of things that happen in real life, whether it's the neglect, you know, the, you know, the unintentional neglect of Ahmad and, you know, the family dynamics and the soul food. Like, I feel like this was so honest. And I was sitting here thinking, wow, this is a really good movie up until this part. (laughs) And then I have, but, (laughs) but I I mean, right. And so for, and again, I'll tell you where I had my most thoughts because I, but anyway, so after Big Mama dies, Lim's in jail, Terry ain't messing with the family, they filed an injunction, yes, okay, mm-hmm. all in one family. Um, Ahmad comes up with this scheme because he feels like Big Mama empowered him to get the family together. So he starts going to Miles, to Faith, to Bird, to Aunt Terry, that, hey, when I was in the hospital, when Big Mama died, uh, she told me, that she left me money and everyone is all intrigued because again throughout this movie there has been this like mythical like oh big mama had money like you know mm-hmm. but everyone's like that's just a dream Chappelle big mama ain't had no money don't listen to that so uh he is telling everyone big mama like left me this money and if you help me do something with it like put it in a bank account or whatever I'll split it with you even though every per every adult that he told was really going to take the money from the little boy Right, uh, like, that, like yeah, he everybody went, he was. Went, he went to Terry, like, okay, ain't Terry? I'm probably gonna give you a little some, some. I'm gonna break you off if you help me get this money together. And I know Terry was thinking, let me go get this money and pay for this, you okay. know, pay for these medical bills. But, you and, know, they can stop playing with so, this boy. And, but here's the thing, though. But again, Terry would have put the money to the right place. Now, bitch, when he talking fucking faith, I'm like, bitch, this bitch gonna take this money and run. 
L- luckily for us or for Ahmad, he was going to faith about imaginary money. He had made this story yes, up because he in any other not, situation, no, she, you don't go uh, to faith. Right. And mind <laughs> you, she was like, and again, that everyone, they did like this sequence thing of like, where's the money? And the first person that said it was faith. But mm-hmm. to his mom, he just won a basketball game. And again, uh, I feel like an iconic role of Vivica Fox is that she is the epitome of an amazing mother. She just gave birth to a newborn. She's got a toddler and got a mod. She's picking a mod up from his basketball game. And she's like, you just won. Like, what can I do for you? He's like, I want... <laughs> I want some collard greens, some catfish, like you know. And she like, oh, when you want this, and he's like, Sunday. And again, she at Vivica at Fox, Big Mama's house at Big oh Mama's house. God. You up to something, boy? <laughs> what you up yeah. to? And so, then she did the classic black mama of I carried you for seventeen. That right, right. Yeah, <laughs> with two swollen feet. I know you, your big head. When you try, when you up to something. So yeah, that's he went to his mama first to get her to cook the Sunday dinner, and then he lured everybody to the house with the promise of the money. And so it all started working out well when when everyone came, like his mom and dad was in there cooking bird came to the house first and is like Ahmad and then she sees everybody and then they like what you doing they like cooking Sunday dinner and you know everyone gets sucked in Terry comes and which I thought would be the most confrontational Terry kind of sort of gets back into it then Miles comes okay pause here okay yeah yeah. Miles once you walk in and see these women Bitch, around that you should have left. You need to t- turn, he, get, your, he, get your jacket and go outside. He should have left. But yeah, this is Max, this is where the movie goes off the rails. For this, me. <laughs> this and this is the absolute part of where I felt like it's problematic. But I feel like it's very real. So not Miles comes, Faith comes. Mm-hmm. And everyone is like, you know, no, you, you, we're going to work this out as a family. Stay, eat. Then Lim, Terry made that phone call. Lim got out and Lim comes home and, you know, Lim is home. So they're all eating dinner. And at this point is when I actually had to pause and actually mm-hmm. say, yeah, this actually is not OK. And no. I like not, 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 no. not, not no. OK. And the Absolutely movie. Not tries to gloss over it like it is like oh they're sitting down and big mama's will and like you know like but bitch no i like i like this kind of this kind of gave me like flashbacks a little bit and i don't even want to go into too much of like telling my personal story even though i like well, i we- tell y'all tell y'all everything but i was actually at a a very traumatic family dinner um mm-hmm. and kind of sunder kind of under a, a similar context of like us just trying to come together for let's just say Thanksgiving and like no like it, mm-hmm. it's just like there are I feel like and again I don't want to make this like blanket statement as in like black families but again I only know my family and my family mm-hmm. is black so I, I, I can just say that like from my experience in my black family is that we have an issue of sweeping things under the rug not addressing trauma not addressing issues and like sitting there as if everything is okay and that if we sit down and have this dinner, it's going to squash everything. And so for me as an adult, rewatching this dinner scene really 
sparked something in me that I was just like, yeah, this is not okay. And like you said, when Miles walked in and clearly him and Terry have not been on like speaking terms and saw that the sisters were there, his ass, no matter if they said stay, his he ass should have left. Oh yeah, he they, had no business sitting right. down. Faith coming and them saying like, no, Faith, Big Mama loved you. You are part of the family. Bitch, you ain't part. <laughs> nope, not really. You ain't not a part of my family. Not if you right. ask my husband. Like, no, basically, that's basically. not like. But again, and I have seen time and time again and situations like this where we normalize it, it like so like this was really traumatic for me in that sense of like, no, y'all should not be here. We should not yeah. be together. So that's the flaw. Okay. That's the f- the first big flaw of the movie for my for me is just first of all this is completely unrealistic because for me because in my in my experience once you do some stuff like what happened between them two we you done can't come around yeah you okay. can't come around like me and my siblings ain't gonna let you come around for sure so it's kind of like okay but the, what they were trying to sell to us in the movie is that this Sunday dinner is bigger than that. Their family is bigger than that. Miles like ain't blood. That is problematic. Huh. Uh, oh my gosh! But uh, faith, but faith is. Um, but um, <laughs> you know, whatever. But um, you know, I think they're trying to sell this idea that this this food is going to bring us together. And Maxine is saying, "Faith, you need to stay. Miles, you need to stay because we need to work this out." No, and that's not. This is not the place or the time to work this out. They need to be in in therapy or you know, and with their divorce lawyer or something. If you're going to be trying to work some stuff out, you like Terry needs to be talking to her husband in private, not in front. Right. Right. All of y'all at the dinner Not table. in front of all of y'all. At the dinner table, right. In front of Miles. No, actually, in that moment. baby and the well, kids. <laughs> in that moment, they actually did send Miles to the kitchen. They did yeah, send they, Miles to the kitchen. Right, but them sending Miles to the kitchen brings us to the biggest moment of the movie, aside from the knife pool, is that Miles <laughs> goes into the kitchen uh, because he has a breakdown. He basically, he noticed that the family is fighting. They can't, of course they're fighting. Terry's just sitting across from her, ex, her husband and the, 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 the cousin that he slept with. And so they're fighting, they're arguing about stuff. And Miles is just like, you could y'all stop it. Big mama died. We having Sunday dinner. Oh well, my God. But, but real quick. So they send Miles into the kitchen because Terry start, Terry reveal like, they're like, Lim, how did you come home? And Lim's like, I don't really know. And again, another moment where I'm not like Terry, Terry just had to be like I called in a favor like girl like at that moment Terry you should have just shut the hell up so she says that to Lim and Lim kind of gets somewhat animated because essentially like he went to jail because of Terry so then Bird is like you need to stop work and this is very this is now this moment was very real you need to stop worrying about my marriage and worry why your husband is sleeping with her and so that's what really sparked everything off and at that moment mm-hmm. They sent the kids into the kitchen and at the kit, like, so while the kids are in the kitchen, they are kind of sort of trying to work through this, which again, like, no, we can't work through this with all of y'all here. And like, I can't work through my husband on an infidelity of my cousin and my cousin Mm -hmm. is two people away from me chowing down on a a pig feet. Like, that's not going to work. So they really kind of like, and through that argument, they start to realize, well, they're like, well, why are you here? And they're like, well, Ahmad told me that Big Mama had money. And so everyone's like, well, that's what he told me. So then Maxine calls Ahmad back in and it's like, Ahmad, come in here. And that's where, you know, Chappelle was saying where he was like, it's not my fault that y'all messed up the family. It's your fault. That's another classic line. Big Mama left us and yeah, yeah. He, he, they're like, oh, Ahmad, blah, 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 blah. And they all go to hug my 
And then they notice that Something. they start to smell some smoke from the other room. And Amaz, at the very at the very first dinner, uh, when Big Mama was still alive, uh, they asked Ahmad to do something, and he put a rag on the stove. And Big Mama said, "Baby, no! You never put anything <laughs> on the no. stove." And so mm-hmm. when Ahmad was in the kitchen, and his mom called him, he put that same rag on the stove. The kitchen caught on fire. Everyone was like, "You know, oh my God, the fire!" So the kitchen's on fire. Lim goes to throw water on it. It's clearly a grease fire and <laughs> you know it's scheduled on fire but for me the weirdest person in this interaction is Terry do you like peep how like she's like oh my god the kitchen's on the fire house. then, then the she house. like the walks so like and then she's like behind all of them like I don't know why again you know I talked about Vivica's acting and Bumpy Johnson when she had to kill the guy and although I think that Vivica did a great job throughout the Vanessa Van- I'm saying Vivica Vanessa <laughs> It's that kitchen fire scene for me that is always just so weird. So anyway, they somebody comes up with the idea to say, hey, grab the fire extinguishers. <laughs> and <Jesus>. they, <laughs> <laughs> they pull out the fire. And at the start of dinner, Maxine was like, I got a big surprise for y'all. So after the fire is done, everybody's just like, oh, thank God, you know, the house didn't catch on fire. Meanwhile, Terry in the back of her mind is like, bitch, if we would have sold the house, it would have never been under this. But anyway, um, <laughs> Uncle Pete comes downstairs and is like, hey, what's going on? And he's got a TV in his hand. And Kenny is scared because Uncle Pete never comes downstairs and they just had a fire. So he <laughs> assaults Uncle <laughs> with the fire extinguisher and sprays him and uncle pete drops the tv and what happens when uncle pete drops the tv there's the money the money <laughs> that big mama the the urban legend the myth the money appears uncle pete has had this money hidden in his television this whole time First and of all, is you eating catfish right now? What, like, what? I'm not eating catfish. What are you talking about? Jeez. What you munching on? Some catfish. <laughs> <laughs> but Uncle Pete like, comes downstairs and he has the money in his hands in the television. It falls on the ground. The money starts to blow in the fan because they got the fans going because of the smoke. The smoke. And here's and here's the next part that I say. They just kind of trying to sell us a dream here. But also, real makes- quick. Did you mm-hmm. see who, who was grabbing the most money in that scene, though? Who you think gonna grab the most money? It was Lim. I was like, why yeah, is Lim, Lim grabbing? <laughs> L- look, Lim a hustler. Lim said, look, I, I look, I can't barely keep a job. I just I came just home. <laughs> I just got out. Let me go ahead and grab a little something, something. But they're grabbing the money. Oh, it's flying around. And then we have the end of the movie. The movie ends. No, this is where my problems, like I said, my problem starts the moment Faith and Miles sit down to dinner because that just is, that just doesn't make any sense for me. Right. But the fact that this whole family has been in turmoil, but all it takes to bring the family back together is money. I'm like, okay, you guys. Okay. So the money right. pays off Big Mama's <laughs> hospital bills, and then that family comes back together. My uh, Mod is giving us the narration, so he's like, "You know what?" And then at that point, we realize soul food brings the family together. I'm like, "No, soul food is not what brought the family together. You lied about money, and that's what right. brought the family together." Right. And now he's you and were he's saying, "Yeah, he's saying Mom and Aunt Terry are still they still bicker every now and then, but they seem to be on good terms." And Aunt Bird is about to have her baby because we find out Aunt Bird was pregnant, and Finally, he says, and Miles even comes around too, and Once so does Cousin Faith. Well, he, what? Faith is Faith is now a feel, Faith is now fully a part of the family. 
Yeah, Faith is a fully a part of the family. And Miles still comes around even though him and Terry get a divorce. Now, wait one damn minute. What? No, there is no Miles coming around. And right. there is no Faith. Maybe maybe we can bring Faith back because she is family one day. But in the same calendar year, we just supposed to... Ter- look, I'm not the biggest Terry fan. Like, I thought she had some points. But at this point, I'm like, okay, justice for Terry. Because she didn't have to put herself all outside of her of her, of her comfort zone for Faith and Miles to come enjoy Sunday dinner with his family. Right. The family after her husband. Okay. Why do they get to come around? <laughs> Why? Like, yes, that's not okay. And right. my biggest was, thing was Yeah, go for it. Why are y'all keeping the who is and mind you, he also says Bird and Lim got their own they're living on their own now. Why do y'all <laughs> have this house? Well, you know, you don't want to give away uh, like uh, a generational investment I, like that, I, you know. I'm, I mean, I, I, okay, I can understand that, but if nobody's living there, y'all not renting it out yet, <laughs> and you never know. And then, like Uncle Pete still needs a place to stay. Well, you know? I mean, so like, but no shade, but Uncle Pete probably could benefit from like some twenty four hour care. Look, look. Look, we just because we called out that these people are not willing to send this man to a home does not mean he does not need to be in a home. And we're not saying he needs to be in a home, but he don't even know that he's <laughs> but, carrying a TV around the house. Like, he did not intend to come downstairs with that television. He heard the fire alarms and stuff going on. He heard the commotion, grabbed the one thing he cared about, which is this big old television, and it just happened to be full of money. Right. Yeah, and so I mean, Uncle Pete could use some care. I won't it, say he won't. He can't. <laughs> is it okay that he stays in the room 24 hours? <laughs> Look. I mean, but overall, I think the theme of the movie was great. I feel like they touched on some very real things of black families. They touched on some problematic things of black families mm-hmm. that I feel like, you know, were intentional um, to like... I, I honestly feel like from me rewatching this, I honestly feel like that they wanted to show that this family was not perfect, that they don't right. make the correct ways of everything. But at the end of the day, that they are a family. So I got mm-hmm. that. But I also just like me as an adult, it kind of like made me reflect on my own family and being like how I should move as an mm-hmm. adult in this family. So, I mean, that's kind of sort of what I got from it. What do you think? No, I think I think you're right. I think going into that dinner scene, I was very I was very impressed and I was willing I was ready to come in here and say, "Bryce, I didn't know. I didn't realize how good this movie was." But right everything now. after that dinner <laughs> scene is the reason why I'm like, "Look, maybe yeah. maybe they kind of lost track of where they were going." And I know you and I plan on talking about as many movies as we can and just kind of keeping this going. And I think we can track the movies that kind of hold up over time and then ones that don't. I'm not sure that Soul Food has the ending they thought that they should have had, right? Like, but I, think I, that- I challenge that, though, because although I feel like it is very unrealistic, how many times, like, there are just, for me, countless times that I feel like I've witnessed in my own family, like, situations where, like, yeah, we probably shouldn't be at this table together. And mm-hmm. I feel like that might have been the point, though, to, like, point that out, to be like, bitch, they probably, like, I don't know. I felt like maybe it was really kind of holding a mirror to us and saying, like, yeah. mm, 
what do you think about this so whether we mm-hmm. think it's good or bad it really is for us to evaluate how we move forward i like i, yeah. I don't know but yeah no, like that's it, a good that's a good point i wonder if well, like I said, I don't think it's a bad movie, but I do think they lost themselves in the end trying to tie it together with it, it was too much. Being, right. Right. Yeah. Right. Because it was like, oh, yeah, like because of the Sunday dinner that the 10 year old who was going through this traumatic situation set up, you know, these this person who has been, you know, the victim of adultery at this point has to sit across <laughs> from her cousin and her, her ex-husband on a weekly basis or you know uh, whenever Miles gets hungry and decides to come and, and eat the food she already got to sit across from her ex-boyfriend who is now her, her, uh, her, right. her brother-in-law so you know it's kind of like I see what y'all were doing I get it and I get the theme of the movie and what it was trying to do it's just that the, the for me the end didn't tie it up the way they should have right. I feel like had they put more emphasis on family being able to fix itself or even family going out and getting help would have would have been great but for me it just kind of came off like the money saved everybody. Right. Once I they agree got the money, with that. it was like, cool. I agree with you that. Know? I would have appreciated if it touched more on like what a new normal looks like or what, uh, mm-hmm. or, but what the one thing that I will say, despite as though like we know that soul food is not good or healthy for us, I did like the fact that they kind of sort of touched on the fact that like, you know, not so much the soul food, but the purpose of Sunday dinner was a mm-hmm. time that the family would come together, whether they liked each other or not, due to the love and respect for Big Mama that had been passed down since slavery. And th- what I got from that was that was almost like family therapy. You could talk yeah. about your accomplishments. You could talk about your failings. You could feel a sense of like togetherness. So that like I, I feel like that's what the movie was trying to go for. Um yeah. and what they, they meant of the point of like not so much soul food, but the point of Sunday dinner, the gathering of Sunday dinner and not just making it during holidays the fact that this was every sunday no matter what big mama had this dinner so you got to see your cousins you got to see your auntie you got to talk about what was going on in your life you you got to talk about uncomfortable subjects you got to celebrate people you got to be around family so i feel like that was the intent of it but then they kind of sort of got lost in like the soul food aspect of it and but yeah but overall I mean I still think that it's still a a black classic and I think the older that you get uh, and you look back at movies you have a different outlook on it Um, so but I enjoyed it and you know I'm still very much Terry but I'm Terry (laughs) I'm very much Terry but I'm Maxine in the kitchen and I'm Bird in the bedroom (laughs) I knew that was coming I knew that was coming the man was Packing a gun, okay? But, <laughs> he was uh, packing a gun. Packing. Okay. So, but yeah, Bryce, I think you summed it up pretty well. Um, you know, it's important to remember that you know sitting around the, the dinner table is cathartic and it it feels good to be around family. But ultimately, real therapy is probably what you need. Yeah, and I, had I mean, these people gone to real therapy, you know, they might be able to process these things a bit better. We know that Ahmad needs therapy, but we want to get into that. <laughs> but. Yeah, Bryce, I, this was fun. I enjoyed watching the movie. Like I said, I, my opinion of the movie has changed a little bit just through my adult lens. But uh, I think it was fun to to go back and relive that and to talk about the soundtrack. It was so nostalgic. Um, I'm excited to see what other movies that we review and kind of what our opinions are of the movie. You know, what we think about going in and how we think about them, you know, once we rewatch them in our big adult age. 
Absolutely. I love it. And if you guys got something out of this, please tweet us. Let us know what you thought. If you have any movies that you feel like Chappelle and I should review, you know what to do. Get at us. But before we go, Chappelle, just let the Purple Pants Posse know where they can follow you at. Oh, yeah. You can follow me on Twitter at Chappelle's underscore show. C-H-A-P-P-E-L-L. S underscore show where I am just uh, tweeting and trying to get people off my back. Bryce, for some reason, has sent people to me oh. to one, call me a drunk and also oh. say that I'm unemployed. So oh. if you see me tweeting, it's because I'm trying to convince you all that I do not just be drunk in the middle of the day, but I also have a job. <laughs> Sounds like something we should talk about at our family dinner. Well, Bryce, it's, it's, well, wait, hold what? on. How? Could you hear catfish? We got to talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> I could, but it's been great. Chappelle. Uh, but before we go, just want to let you know, uh, Lim was packing. Okay. <laughs> the following message is brought to you by. Give me a B. B. Give me an A. A. Give me an R. Hi, this is Miss Barb, and I'm here today with a few words of encouragement. I know sometimes you feel like giving up. Every new day, there seems to be no change in your life. All the troubles of your heart and worries keep on worsening. You wonder why everything is happening to you. You keep on asking yourself why you are not lucky like other people. You keep on praying to God, but so far, he hasn't answered your prayers. Now, you have started losing hope. You now think that Maybe you were meant to be like that, or maybe somebody cursed you. But I tell you what, my friend, you weren't meant to be like that, and you weren't cursed. God is silent, but he watches you day and night. He listens to your prayers, and he has something special for you. Just stay strong, focused, hardworking, and keep praying to God. Bear it in your minds that you are not alone in that hard situation. We are all in that same boat. So don't you dare give up, my dear friend. Your time is coming soon. Love you. Who's the freak? Who's the freak? Who's the freak of the week? Who's that? Who's that? Who's that freaky, freaky freak? Who's the freak of the week? Might be me, might be you, might be And we are on to this week's Freak of the Week. 
bang, bang. One thing I noticed was that I know a lot of Pisces. You know, I'm a Pisces, Pisces season and full effect out here. We getting ready to end. But yes, there's so many Pisces out there. And I always forget because, you know, I'm so self-absorbed in February. It's my birthday. Okay, the whole month, birth, whole month February, my birthday. So I don't care. But no, seriously, there's so many Pisces out there. And I, I just love it. And with it being Women's Month, I really want to like spotlight and show love to like women that are like special and influential to me. So I'm minding my business, you know, over the weekend day drinking on Sunday, you know, scrolling through the Instagram. And I had realized that it was Sabrina Thompson Mitchell. Okay. My girl from Survivor, the runner up of One World. You know, she almost was in there for second chances. You know, I was voting and voting and voting and voting. She was so close to being on. I was really disheartened when she did not get on because best believe baby girl would have killed it. When I was on Survivor Kagyan and they released the cast, Sabrina was one of the first survivors to reach out to me and show your baby boy some love. So I always have a special place in my heart for Sabrina. Back in late spring, early summer of 2020, when I was really, you know, screaming from the top of my lungs about diversity um, in Survivor, Sabrina was another one of the survivors that really used her voice and talent to help make a change. And so Sabrina is just an amazing person. But a lot of people don't know that Sabrina has her own like multimedia company. She's a filmmaker, a photographer. Baby Girl is a globe trotter. She also co-founded the Ween Academy, which I think has come to an end now but it was really about lifting uplifting women of color in the multimedia realm and it was just really such a great organization a lot of survivors um have come from the Ween Academy. You know, Desiree from Ghost Island was in the Ween Academy, if you didn't know. But anyway, Sabrina is out here doing amazing things. And over the weekend, I was just minding my business and it was her birthday. And you know, I had to show her some birthday love. And she really posted this adorable photo of Sabrina when she was a, a young toddler, which, you know, wasn't that long ago. And it was her with a doll. And when I first saw the photo, I'm like, I, like you know, what is this? And then I read into the caption and, whoo, baby, touched my heart. Um, the caption reads, and well, mind you, Sabrina Thompson Mitchell, who is on Instagram. Her Instagram is Sab Judah, S-A-B-J-U-D-A. So if you ain't following her, you need to follow her. But on her birthday, she posted this, the photo that I was describing. And the caption reads, I thank God for allowing me to complete another year around the sun. Okay. Hashtag grateful. Hashtag birthday chronicles. Hashtag March 6th. Then... Sabrina goes into detail about the photo. She says, side story. Woo, Chile. First of all, I, I, not the woo, Chile, Sabrina. She says, woo, Chile. My mama wanted to make sure I had black dolls to play with. When she did not see any black dolls in the store, she had someone custom make one. I was terrified when I first saw it because it was life size. Life size. However, I learned to love it. Thanks, Carolyn Thompson, for going out of your way to make sure I saw blackness in everything. I mean, for real, for real, the freak of the week is Carolyn Thompson, Mama Thompson, Sabrina's mother. But that photo, um, not only just for her birthday, but it, 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 it speaks so much that, you know, we were literally fighting um, this 
past summer for representation on Survivor and for us, you know, to be able to get, you know, 50% of people of color is amazing. And it really just goes to show you as Sabrina was growing up, her mother wanted to make sure that like she did not have white dolls, that she did not buy into this, you know, image of, you know, this is uh, the set standard. Her mom went out of her way to create a black doll for Sabrina. And that just, it means so much because representation matters. And that post just touched me. And again, with the Meghan Markle story and just, you know, how Meghan Markle talked about when she was on her tour to Australia and so many people saw her and were not used to seeing that. And it really inspired girls. And, you know, for me, being a black queer man and I'm always screaming to the top of my lungs that this is who I am. Love me or hate me. Like, take it. And it's just so important for people to see that. And so I just had to, with it being Women's Month and Sabrina just being an entrepreneur and the amazingness that she is listen we had to own give her a happy birthday and make sure we give her freak of the week baby so make sure you go over there if you follow her on the facebook sabrina thompson mitchell because you know she's married now or you follow her on the instagram sab judah let her know she is the freak of the week yes representation matters point blake and it's the period for me poo so if sabrina thompson mitchell is the freak of the week that means y'all have eaten all of the great goodness and nutrients that i have cooked for y'all this week and this soul food i hope it hits your soul i hope you got something out of it so please make sure you guys subscribe to my podcast on apple Podcasts, spotify podcast wherever it is that you get your podcasts from okay this week only my uncle pookie is selling some of the leftover soul food platters along with the subscription to the purple pants podcast so you know you can get it from uncle pookie make sure you give your baby boy some five stars write a review okay and you know tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend okay don't tell the firm or the institution okay but you know tell a friend to come get this soul food cause it's a it's a it's a it's the purple pants it's the purple pants it's the purple pants podcast you better get your headphones and listen up quick it's the purple pants podcast you better listen in public might make your stomach hurt it's the Purple Pants Podcast, you're trying to unwind, you better get that box wine. It's the Purple Pants Podcast, you're trying to get your snack, you better hurry right back though. It's the Purple Pants, it's the Purple Pants.